It's time for Twit This Week in Tech with a big week at the Supreme Court. We're really glad Mike Masnick from Tech Dirt is here. Owen Thomas joins us from the San Francisco Examiner. And from MacBreak Weekly, Alex Lindsay is in the house. We'll talk about Section 230, the oral arguments, why the NSA probably should be governed a little bit more by the Supreme Court, a potential Apple Watch ban. They got, they got the hacker who uh, hacked all those Twitter accounts and then an iPhone that sold for $63,000, all that and more coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 916, recorded Sunday, February 26th, 2023. Fetch happens. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Noom. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom Waits' psychology-based approach. And check out Noom's first-ever book, The Noom Mindset, a deep dive into the psychology of behavior change. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. And, of course, sign up for your trial at noom.com slash twit. And by Worldwide Technology. With an innovative culture, thousands of IT engineers, application developers, unmatched labs, and integration centers for testing and deploying technology at scale. WWT helps customers bridge the gap between strategy and execution. To learn more about WWT, visit www.com slash twit. And by stamps.com. Set your business up for success. When you start today, sign up with the promo code TWIT for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a free digital scale. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code TWIT. And by ACI Learning. If you love IT Pro, you'll love ACI Learning. ACI Learning offers fully customizable training for your team in formats for all kinds of learners across audit, cybersecurity, and IT. From entry-level training to putting people on the moon, ACI Learning has you covered. Visit go.acilearning.com slash twit to learn more. It's time for Twit This Week at Tech, the show where we cover the week's tech news I have assembled. I have assembled. Actually, Jason. Jason Howell has assembled the best panel of journalists money could buy. Well, since we don't pay them, it's... <laughs> anyway, Mike Masnick is here, techdirt.com. Now, that's pretty good. Hey, Mike. Hello. Good to see you. We had uh, your colleague Kathy on on Twig to talk about the uh, Supreme Court, but you had some great takes, too. I want to get your thoughts uh, about sure. Section 230, Gonzalez versus Google. We also have a wonderful friend, Owen Thomas, columnist for The Examiner now. He's the Herb Kane of tech in San Francisco. Oh, oh, stop. Go on, you. <laughs> also, uh, his personal blog. I hate to pu- to publish it, to promote it, because you haven't published anything there in seven years. But someday he will. Ditherati.com. I, I keep threatening to. I keep threatening. <laughs> You're busy now. You're writing for a, a real place. So I understand. You know, would, would, would Herb Cain have a daily blog? Probably, no. actually. Actually, probably I wonder would. what Herb would do. That's a really interesting question. Yeah. He was the legendary San Francisco blog? Chronicle columnist. He was he was the guy. This is back when really newspapers were just about display ads. 
They were the thing in between the display ads. And he was the guy, his column was right next to the Macy's ad every single day. And the whole point was to get you to look at the Macy's ad, I think. Also with us, Alex Lindsay, a regular on Mac Break Weekly. We like to bring in people from our other shows from time to time. 090.media is his business, his day job. Uh, after hours, it's officehours.global. Hi, Alex. Hi. It's good to be here. It's nice to see you on a Sunday. I know, I know. <laughs> it's usually hard, but it's great to be here. Let me start with the uh, the bad news from the Supreme Court. Uh, they decided not to take the case. Wikimedia, the parent company of Wikipedia, had sued the NSA over their upstream surveillance, as you probably know. I mean, this is a this was a lawsuit from 2015. Uh, thanks to Edward Snowden and other revelations, we realized that the NSA wasn't getting into your Google and Facebook. And Twitter account, they were just doing it upstream as it as it came out of those servers into the real world. And they were doing it basically for everyone. Uh, it was the suspicionless, that's the word they use, collection and searching of Internet traffic uh, on data transmission lines flowing into and out of the United States. They said, well, it's only mostly it was just foreign targets, except for anybody the foreign target was talking to in the U.S. You were there, too. Uh, but the justices said, no, it's protected because release of some information would damage U.S. national security. That seems sensible, actually, Mike. Uh, I'm going to challenge that. Okay. <laughs> so it, it, it's actually, there, there are a bunch of issues with the program and the setup, and it goes beyond kind of what you just described a little bit, right? So they they were tapping all communications basically as they left or came into the United States, which... You, you said, and they were doing that directly through the backbone providers, so AT&T, Verizon, um, whoever else. The issue was not just foreign nationals communicating with Americans. It was that they were basically scanning through everything and it was to, from, and then it also included the uh, much more scary about communication. So if you mentioned someone in an email uh, that was on a target list, or if you mentioned a phone number or an email address or possibly some other keyword that was on a list, then it would get collected. And again, there's no warrant here. So you could be, as an American, having your communications collected. And then once it was collected, it would go into a larger database that then uh, the FBI could search through without a warrant. And so there was all sorts of information that is not the type of thing that would normally be collected and certainly would raise Fourth Amendment issues in general, uh, and yet because of the sort of funky way in which it was done and set up in that it was collected outside the U.S. Uh, through the backbone and then sort of backed into this database that, I, that the FBI could search, it sort of had this, you know, this one weird trick to get around the Fourth Amendment. And that's what the lawsuit was really trying to challenge. And uh, you know, the court basically said for national security reasons, we're not even going to look into that. And that seems pretty questionable because if you can just get around the entire Fourth Amendment by saying national security interests and maybe some other sort of fancy footwork to say, well, this is happening outside the U.S., not inside the U.S., so we're all good. The fact that it is collecting up, you know, uh, tons and tons of, you know, American information uh, without a warrant and then allowing it to be searched by the FBI does seem to me like a pretty big deal. The uh, they inv they said this is uh, permitted by the FISA Act. 
uh, our good friend, the FISA Act. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's the other thing is that read the FISA Act and tell me where that's permitted. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's, it's a, it's an interesting interpretation of the FISA Act that, that the NSA has said, uh, allows them to do that, but that's never really been reviewed by a court. And that was the point of this entire, uh, case by, by Wikipedia represented by the ACLU was the idea that you know, let's see that. Let, let's see the language. How do you justify from the language of the FISA Amendments Act uh, that this this would be allowed? And the courts basically said, we're not even going to review that because the government is saying national security secrets. It was dismissed by the Fourth Circuit a couple of years ago, uh, appealed to the Supreme Court, who declined uh, to give cert. The ACLU lawyers argued that they should listen to the case, saying, quote, although this Mass surveillance of Americans' private communications raises grave constitutional questions. Its lawfulness has yet to be considered by any ordinary court, civil or criminal, in more than 20 years of operation. Yeah, it feels like that's exactly what the Supreme Court should be ruling on. Is this constitutional? Yeah. Is there no mechanism for them to do that kind of secretly? I mean, as as Congress does? I think that's the problem is the Supreme Court doesn't really have a mechanism to do that, to, to do it, to, to manage top secret, you know, um, they're not set up for that uh, processes. Yeah. And so, you know, that's all a matter of public record, I believe. And, and so that becomes, that's probably part, part of the pushback. And, you know, at, in, in other shows, I'm very opinionated about, about the fact that, you know, phones and everything else should be protected. You know, our phone, you know, we shouldn't be just letting the, you know, if we have it locked off, we don't want to hand it off. It's something that's very personal to us. I will say that, you know, we, I, I work all over the world and we're pretty, uh, things are pretty safe here. <laughs> you know, we just want to remember that, like, as we start to unravel these, this guy get into, into things, as we start to want to unravel these, a lot of the reason they're safe is because of a lot of these information gathering. We, um, when you understand tactically how they work, um, they become, they're very, very, very powerful in a way that, you know, we don't have, I work in countries where everybody has a fence around their house and gla- broken glass and barbed wire across the top. And that's the other side. And I don't want to be a fear monger, but there's a lot of people gunning for us. <laughs> like, you know, we just want to make sure that we're clear that asymmetrical threats are a real thing. And most of them get buried pretty quickly because of these information um, gathering tools. And so does it come um, down, Alex, to whether you trust the NSA with that data? You know, they built they call it Bumble Hive. They built a, a data center famously in Utah that can hold exabytes of data. And the thinking is that they're just storing all traffic. I don't in, think in, yeah. in this so, bumble hive. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I think that there's obviously some 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 major issues that could occur. I mean, and, and I think that trust is a big piece of it. And I think that that, you know, I don't know if they've always been trustworthy in that area. You got to um, love the uh, the fact that they bumble hive has a Web page. Uh, here it is. Domestic surveillance directorate defending our nation, securing the citizens. And right in front of bumble hive, there's a big sign, you know, kind of sign you'd see in front of a church. Welcome to the Utah Data Center. And then they have those little temporary letters they put up with your slogan of the week. It says, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. Holy mackerel. I don't think I'd, I think I'd put that there. Yeah, yeah. I so don't the, um, know if that's the exact motto the NSA would like to pursue, but that tells I you feel something. Like, I feel like Eric Schmidt said something to that effect. And, you know, the irony there is that Eric Schmidt with his... Uh, pants, his pants, extramarital relationships, uh, <laughs> and his. We and closed his the door on the bathroom. I got nothing to hide, but it's none of your business. 
Yeah, I, and I I do think that I do think that we have to be very careful about this, but we also have to be very careful of you know they they yeah you know, I think that probably the Supreme Court looked at it and said well it is outside the country and the NSA of course was built a long time ago um, and it is specifically designed to do what it's doing like it is not like we built something that kind of decided to move into this uh, you know Echelon was built to to manage to manage traffic for a long you know, time but, for but, a long uh, time they denied the existence of Echelon we only know right, about but, that but but FISA, GCHQ kind of admitted it whoops. Yeah, so FISA, the, the FISA thing is, is new. It's 20 years old. Echelon is a lot older than that. You know, This was, and so, this and was so, that you know, keyword grabbing thing Mike was talking about, where it just looked, looks at all traffic. And, 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 well, looks for, and say the word bomb four times and Beetlejuice appears. Well, it's, it's more of, so when, the, the big thing about gathering all that data into the past is what it allows you to do is go forward and backward. So, so basically what happens is someone does something bad and I can just go backwards in time and look at who they were talking to in the past. So like, let's say, uh, someone, someone does a terrorist act. I can go back to before they were a terrorist right. and see who they were talking right. to. Oh, I see and, the and value I even, of I don't, it. I understand. I don't need the to see the information, but the, but the thing is, is that 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 has, is a that is devastating, you know, for for uh, you know for a terrorist organization for us to be able to find you before you even before someone start, tell, told you to start, you know, having tradecraft before you were trained in tradecraft. You are still, you know, we know who you were around, and then you go forward, and you and what happens is you go backward. You find those people and you go forward and you find everyone that they're connected to. And so it makes every terrorist act very, very difficult, you know, very uh, hard to avoid what happens next. You know, and so the um, so I think that they yes, it is. It is a fissionable material like it is something that is 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 pretty dangerous in that area. And it is also why people like me, like when I travel all over the world, uh, if I see someone that, that is remotely like I have to admit, if they are remotely interesting like they say things that are a little like on the edge of that i don't talk to them anymore <laughs> like, like i'm just like i don't i don't i don't want to be how about, you know, how like, about this also just, like, from the oh, nsa's uh very interesting website our ultimate target 256 bit aes they have a supercomputer and this is by the way this is old data they built a supercomputer in like 2004 a cray i'm sure they have much better technology but they want to crack AES. So, Mike, is so that's a that is the defense, right? Hey, we need to do this. You got to trust the NSA. We got to protect you. <laughs> yeah, but there are things like the Constitution and the Fourth Amendment and the laws that Congress has written that that authorize what the NSA can and cannot do within the limits of the Fourth Amendment. And the issue here was not so much whether or not they're protecting us. Uh, but whether or not this is legal and whether or not this is constitutional. And that's something that the courts are supposed to decide. I think it's decide. reasonable. That's what the Supreme Court does, right? Here's uh, more fun quotes from uh, Oak Ridge. Our classified NSA Oak Ridge facility made a stunning breakthrough that's leading us on a path toward building the first exaflop machine by 2018. Again, this is a little dated. Since the capability to break the AES 256-bit encryption key with an action, within an actionable time period may still be decades away, our Utah facility is sized to store all encrypted and thereby suspicious data for safekeeping. So if you're sending any, so, if you're using Signal, it's being stored there. So all encrypted data is suspicious. That's a that's an interesting formulation. It's the same thing uh, as if you got nothing, if you're not, uh, you, you know, you got nothing to hide, you got nothing to fear. I, I, I would flip that around on the NSA and the intelligence community broadly. If you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. If there is, you know. Yeah, why are they hiding? Uh, you know, the, <laughs> Alex, where, where, where I would push back on what you're saying is like, mm -hmm. 
we have to take their word for all these threats that they're, you know, that they right. claim their systems are stopping. We don't have evidence because it is secret. Um, now, obviously, you know, you can't like bust everything wide open and share your, your sources and, and methods because then, you know, then you wouldn't be able to stop anything anywhere, anytime. But I think that, you know, some level of accountability and, you know, and judicial review, uh, legislative review, accountability through, uh, through Congress and the courts is, you know, is needed here simply for public trust. And, 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 and I think that, it, I think that what, what you're looking at here is, is, is really a, a essentially the intelligence version of a double Dutch sandwich. You know, like basically they have done what corporations do with taxes where they said, well, it's not, it's, you know, it's outside the country, which is the way that the NSA has worked for a long time. Um, I, you know, Congress can make it, can, can write new laws if they want to in this area. I think that it would be very difficult for the Supreme Court to dig into this um, in the way that they'd like to. You know, we have, there's the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board, the PCLOB, that was tasked with actually looking at this particular program. And they did, and they found problems with the program. And so, again, then what? You know, once you have this board that's found problems with the program, then you would hope that the courts could review it as well. And you would hope that Congress would review it. Now, this particular program, it's, it's the you know, 702 program or whatever uh, is, is set to sunset at the end of this year. And so that's going to be the next big debate because it, it has a six-year time period. And every time that it is about to sunset, last time in 2017, towards the end of the year, you're going to see all sorts of scare stories in the media about how if we let this program go away, people are going to die, there's going to be terrorist attacks and all sorts of stuff. And yet there has, you know, I, what for whatever you're saying about how this this system protects us. There is yet to be any evidence given by the the government, by the NSA, of how this particular program has actually stopped any kind of terrorist activity. They can, you know, you can make all these claims all you want, but they've yet to present any evidence of that. And so I'm sure at the end of this year, we're going to see the same thing, where all these stories and all these people saying, oh, if we don't renew this program, people are going to die. Uh, and, and, you know, without the evidence to support that, it gets, gets right back to what Owen was saying, you know, what, what are they hiding? If you actually have evidence of that, show it, show it to us, show us how this program has actually protected us before we get Congress to renew it. And so, you know, I, it would be nice if, if Congress, and from my perspective, I think Congress shouldn't renew it, or if they do renew it, But you it, know it they will. Be, you has, know they will. Of course they will. Of course yeah. they will. But it should be greatly restricted from what it is now. And, and again, like the law, as it, if you read the law right now, it is not clear that it enables this this is an interpretation by the nsa of how you know how to interpret this law like make it explicit if you want the nsa to do this put that in the law so that people know because this is the whole thing like nobody knew about this program despite the law being public until edward snowden, snowden released all these documents that revealed how they were interpreting the law and that that alone is a problem you know, if, if you want to say that this is a good program and an important program, fine, but but be public about it. Isn't the theory, though, that there's the congressional oversight and whatever it is, the gang of eight who, are, you know, are cleared to see this. It's their job as our representatives to look at this and it protects both the security of the NSA and our privacy. Isn't that the theory? 
Yeah, but part of, part of the, the, the reality is also that, that the intelligence community has lied to the overseers, right? Oh. This is what, what, what <laughs> Senator Wyden has revealed a bunch of times. Yeah. Well, he'll, he'll ask questions, and as soon as you see Senator Wyden asking questions of the intelligence community, you know they're lying about something because that's how it works. You know, right, right. He, he'll, he'll basically try, he's trying to trap them in, in the lie without you know, without violating security clearance that, that, that he has. And so, you know, over and over again, he asked them, you know, please explain how this is happening or what is happening here or what are the, you know, to what extent are you doing this? And what comes out is that they're lying They're They are maybe, you know, they wouldn't say lying, but they are using words in ways that nobody else defines those words in order to justify what it is that they're doing. And again, that that gets to the problem. You know, if you want to do this, be public about it, explain exactly what you're doing, explain how it's justified or how it's, uh, you know, authorized by the law. And, and then let's have a debate about it. Then let's have a conversation about it. But that's not what we have. Maybe right to uh, the members of the gang of eight, Mike Turner, Jim Himes, Mark Warner, Marco Rubio, Kevin McCarthy, Hakeem Jeffries, Chuck Schumer, and Mitch McConnell, and say, ask some tough questions. Uh, we, the people, don't want this uh, blank check to continue. Uh, when is the renewal up this year? The end. The end of this year. Okay. I, I forget if it's like you know December thirty first or whatever, but it's it's towards the end of this year. Uh, actually, interestingly, uh, the UK is looking at something called the online safety bill, which would basically they don't admit it, but would ban end-to-end encryption. It would at least have to provide a backdoor. And the the folks at Signal uh, said this week that they they'd walk away from the UK if that bill undermined uh, end-to-end encryption. Governments, especially the Five Eyes all over the world, are trying to break down this door to encryption. I, by the way, I owe an apology to the NSA. As wonderful <laughs> as this site is, it is not their site. It's NSA.gov one. Dot info. I should have known better looking at the uh, URL. It is a parody site, but uh, <laughs> it, it, in a way, the parody uh, strikes home. So I just I apologize. That is not the official uh, NSA uh, slogan. Nor well, and, and I think that nor is the, it out the, front the of the Utah Center. <laughs> I, Darn I, I, it! It did seem, did seem strange. It I seemed was like, a really? lot. I should have. No, I should have really on the nose. used my head. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, yeah, I think that you know a lot of times people talk about security with encryption. When it comes to encryption, they talk about the fact that right now they have an HD signal that is all like it's it's 1920 by 1080 of all the information of people around them, and there's one pixel missing. <laughs> like they don't like, like those dark pixel. pixels. And they're like, I don't know what's going on in that dark pixel, and I want I want to have that opened up. And I and I do think that we do have to be careful of I. As far as gathering it, as I said, I think that if the NSA is doing it overseas, I think that I think it's going to be very hard to stop. I don't know whether I agree with it or not, but I think it's going to be very hard to ever get anyone to rule on that um, because usually they bring up the, the cases that we can't see. Um, anyway, so but when it comes to starting to break down our encryption, I think that that is a big deal. Like like the you know what the what the UK is trying to do of, of we want to get rid of the encryption. It's one thing to collect it, where by the time they get into it, it probably will, you know, will be uh, not doing that anymore. Whatever it was, um, the. Uh, but I think that t- taking apart the last little bit of us being able to to keep our stuff encrypted if we choose to, I think is a big deal. The you know? WhatsApp uh, folks say they would refuse to lower security for any government. But unfortunately, I mean, as we've seen before, uh, if a government requires it, you really don't have the choice. You either leave the country or comply, right? You can't and just they should leave the country. Yeah, you should leave. But uh, 
Uh, I don't know. That's pretty draconian, uh, too. And, of course, the uh, online protect safety bill is, as usual, uh, raised the paper tiger of protecting the children. Um, but I think the people who want this are are really much more about, let's see what's going on everywhere. Um, yeah, the, the, there are a lot of problems with the online safety bill. It touches on a whole bunch of different things. And, of course, it sort of keeps changing. So it's a little it's, yeah, it's, it's hard a bit to know of a what moving target. Do. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and, and so because of that, you'll have people say that it doesn't actually attack encryption. It sort of does so in an underhanded manner. And that, that's that's the way most of the online safety bill actually works is is this kind of like vague language that which is effectively like just don't do anything wrong and we won't bother you. And if you do something that we consider wrong, then, then the government will come and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, bring the hammer down. Um, well, and, 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 and the challenge is always that, that the, the, the intelligence agencies are highly technical, highly focused and know exactly what they want. And they're talking to legislators around the world right. that have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and or in couching like, in so terms, it's hard to say no. If you're saying, look, we just want to catch pedophiles, it's hard uh, as an elected official to say, well, no, I'm, I'm not in favor of that. So that's why they use that, right? Consider yeah. the children. Yeah. It's imp- this is what the Home Office, the British Home Office says. It's important that technology companies make every effort to ensure their platforms do not become a breeding ground for pedophiles. The online, get this, talk about mealy mouth. The online safety bill does not, I should do this in a British accent. The online safety bill does not represent a ban on end-to-end encryption, governor, but makes it clear that technological changes should not be implemented in a way that diminishes public safety, especially the safety of children online. And, of course, now right. then they draw the line. Well, encryption does that. It diminishes the safety of children. But they say it's not a choice between privacy or child safety. We can and we must have both. How? I don't know. And without, without the encryption, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's, again, we get back to that. I, I believe that as long as we have encryption and people who know what they're, you know, if, if you're doing something, you know, again, most of, most of the communication that I do when it's not in messages is in signal, knowing that it will be, you know, probably okay. And, and I'm not, I'm talking about like, by the way, for, you're not alone. for presentation. Samuel you know, Bankman-Fried like, 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 loves Signal. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people love Signal. Uh, apparently, yeah. members of the Congress uh, love Signal. Matt Gates loves Signal. Uh, a lot of people love Signal. Yeah. yeah. The problem is, and, and you know, the, the quote of uh, uh, they've got a high-def screen, and this is true. Technology has given law enforcement this incredible view into all of our lives, and they just don't like these little dark parts. And I mentioned this to you before. It comes from Phil Zimmerman, the guy who created PGP, and from the very beginning, people said to Phil, well, you're going to allow people to encrypt stuff. Bad guys are going to use it. And his answer always was collateral damage. If you, you know, we got to have privacy. Politicians, that's a hard one because, you know, the next big terrorist, you know, like the, the security. I know, I'm, they don't want to get Intelligence the agencies say, here's the deal. I know. Here's a head that's going to sit on your desk if anything goes, like, you know, like like literally, they tell them this all the time. That of course. If something goes bad, if, if a thousand people die because of this, we're going to blame you. It's your like, fault. Like, like, you know, like we're going to get up and we're going to get up from it and we're going to blame you. How do we balance that? You know, Mike, do you have that, a suggestion? That's really hard for a politician. I understand. Uh, we want well, safety. I, 
Yeah, but I think, I mean, I think you guys made the point already, which is that it's not a question of balancing, right? Encryption is is part of protecting people and, and making them safe. The idea that law enforcement is having all sorts of difficulty because of encryption still is not proven. They just keep saying that. And yet, as as you've said, they have more access to more information than ever before. The ability to, to go forward and back in time, as we were discussing earlier, the ability to get all sorts of access to information that was impossible before, the ability to solve all sorts of crimes that were impossible before is there now they have more power now than ever before and more visibility into all this stuff than ever before if there are a few small areas even in the cases where people are using encryption the reality is that almost everybody uses encryption trips up somehow right there's all sorts of things you know if if you're really doing bad there are ways for law enforcement to to get at the information they need to take you down Almost always, that's the case. The idea that we need to break encryption for everybody else where it is keeping them safe and where it is protecting them from malicious actors and hackers and, and, you know, foreign governments that are trying to do bad things, you know, it, it, the, the value that you get from the encryption is so much higher than whatever little, like, as yet unproven uh, problems there are for law enforcement that I, I don't think that the conversation should be about balance because, you know, we already have what we need. We have the tools to protect ourselves and law enforcement has more tools than ever before to stop bad actors. It's interesting that Apple who has been selling privacy for some time and, and uh, now is sort of starting to live up to its promise. They've offered this advanced data protection, which encrypts everything on iCloud. And I, as I understand it fully encrypts it, there's no back door. Uh, they decided to back down on their CSAM scanning uh, again, something that Nick Mick and you know National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and, and uh, advocates uh, of that ilk wanted and Apple was going to do until they heard the hue and cry. Is that a bellwether? Is the fact that Apple uh, is, is, is going to support good encryption uh, a bellwether? Apple is slowly tightening a privacy news. <laughs> if they do too much of it too quickly, people will not let them do it. And they just, every update is just a little tighter than it was before. And every update, you know, ATT and all the other things they're doing, all of those things are just little, they're just tightening screws very slowly to completely, to, to keep on trying to perfect us not being able, you know, not being tracked in, in any way, shape or form, which is really upsetting a lot. But they're going to come, aren't they, levels. aren't they going to come up against governments saying, well, you can't do Eventually. That. Yeah. Well, that, but if you did it all at one time, it question. would immediately, the thing is, right. is if you boil that frog very slowly, like, and you slowly tie it in and you build it so that so many of those things, so many things that Apple's doing is they're kind of knocking all the pegs off behind them so that it's very hard to un unwrap back out. Like, so if someone said, well, we have to get access, Apple's a couple versions away from going, well, we can't, can't help you. Like, you know, like we can't, like, there's no way to, to build that back into the older versions. And, you know, and so, so the thing is, is that I, I know that Apple would like time, that. They have to pull it back. I know that but Apple would like to be going. able to say, sorry, uh, you know, send us all the subpoenas you want. We don't have that information. But at some point, China, Russia, maybe the U.S., England, they're going to say, well, but we need that information. Russia doesn't really matter anymore. But, but yeah, the I mean, for, for Apple. Yeah. <laughs> China is another matter, though. China, China is a big part, but you can, you know, most, most, most companies are diversifying from China out of the fear yeah. that they're going to create trouble in Taiwan. And so, I mean, they can't do it right now, but, but they, you know, I think everybody's diversifying right now from China because they see it as the next, the next problem child. So. Mike, do you think that maybe the tech industry is starting to come down on the right side on this or? 
Well, I mean, it's it's still a challenge. Um, you know, I think everybody's sort of trying to explore, and they, they are afraid of, of governments cracking down. You know, I think Apple, when when they tried to do the the CCM scanning, um, you know, that was definitely a step in the wrong direction. And luckily, there was a very loud outcry, yeah. and they realized to go in the other direction. And now, you know, even take a, a much bigger step in the other direction, which was was encrypting encrypting the cloud backup data, um, and so. You know, I think Apple has definitely made some moves in the right direction. I think Google's made some moves in the right direction on, on encryption as well. Um, but it's it's still it is it is an ongoing challenge. And and you know, as Alex said, if if they go too fast, then that leads to more things like what Australia has done, effectively trying to outlaw encryption. Mm-hmm. What the UK mm-hmm. is trying to do to outlaw encryption. And there are some bills that are you know popping up here and there in the US and and uh, a little bit in the EU too, where they're sort of approaching this kind of thing, where they're trying to get them to to effectively outlaw or backdoor encryption, which is really the same thing. Um, and you know, I think the companies, for the most part, do seem to want to do the right thing. Uh, but but it is it is definitely walking the line and, and balancing how how hard the different governments are going to come down on them. There is a lesson though from that uh, Apple CSAM thing. They listened when enough of us stood up and said no 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 this is a bad idea. When the EFF and and others you know petitioned when 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 everybody stood up and said this is a bad idea they did and they finally have backed down entirely and they're not going to do it. So yeah, and that, I think I think that the CSAM I, I think. I think what Apple was trying to do is we're going to keep turning up that they saw the CSAM, what they were doing there was that, that we're going to keep on tightening this up and people are going to use C, you know, they're going to use, um, they had a strategy. Issue. You they had, they're, they're going to use this issue. So they thought that they could build a solution that right. would protect them. Right. So as they keep on turning it, you can't use that against them. Um, and so I think that that was their mentality when they did it. It just, it just didn't ring up very well. Yeah. And, and I guess my message is, it works. So if 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 people like Mike uh, keep rattling the cage and say no no no, uh, you know we this is there is no safe way to backdoor encryption. Encryption protects all of us. Uh, that's good. We got to all I mean, stand up and, and be counted on that. I, I want to agree with one example is so you know we had this thing with uh, TSA. You know TSA, you have those little TSA locks which are worthless now. Why yeah. are they worthless? Why are the TSA work, <laughs> worthless? So the TSA locks, the, the the keys in the TSA lock are one dimensional. You know they're just outlines. They don't have any extra code to. And there's only one. No, no, no. There's like eight or nine. Oh, there's, there's more like than eight one. Or nine okay. of them. Okay. <laughs> but but the thing is, is so to, to have a TSA lock. So what we did is we said, okay, we trust TSA. They're gonna we're gonna put a lock in so that only TSA can get into our bags. Right. The problem was is some doofus got interviewed by the Washington Post or or, or whatever, and they let him take a. They they said, can we take a picture of the keys? And he's like, sure. They took a picture of the keys. <sighs> now it's completely like like those locks became because you can't go back and change them. I mean, they you've sold millions and millions and millions of these locks, and so. At this point, um, because of that one article and because someone just, you know, the, we left the back door open to to um, the TSA and what they did with it was let someone take a picture of it, which now invalidated all those locks. You might as well just use zip ties at this point, like which is what we do. We use zip ties because oh, interesting. the locks are worthless. Yeah. You know, the, and they're the, the going to cut the zip tie, but you don't care about that. Well, they'll put the zip tie back. The, the secret to zip ties is that with a lock, you don't know whether they got into your case. If you put a if you put an orange zip tie, TSA only owns clear zip ties. So they'll put it back. <laughs> You can look at all your bags. I'll, I'll like, I do production. So we aren't we they supposed to put a little piece of paper in this? They says, do inside, Thank you, citizen. But we make, but it helps us to know. I literally, because what happens you can is look the number at your one bags way we break equipment. Well, the number one way we break equipment is TSA opens our bag and then right. packs it badly. Right. And so what we do is we, um, 
we can just look at all of them coming off. We'll have 20 bags coming off and we'll see the two that they went through, pull them open, look at them, see if they broke anything. And then that just allows us to error correct if we now have, don't have a monitor. (laughs) Uh, Another tip, don't put ground coffee in your bags because apparently uh, drug smugglers uh, use that to hide the smell of the drugs. And Lisa likes to pack her coffee on our trips and, uh, the last time we went somewhere, she said, can I, can you carry my coffee in your bag? It took me a while to get through TSA that day. <laughs> and I'm not sure I'd want to drink the coffee after they dug through it. But anyway, just a tip, just a little tip. Hey, we have a great panel here. I'm, th- this was just one story, the NSA story. Uh, but we there is another big Supreme Court story. We're going to get to that. Mike Masnick is here from Tector. It's always great to have you. Uh, that's Mike's on the left. On the right, we've got Alex Lindsay from officehours.global and 090 Media. Somebody said, finally, some balance on this show. Uh, Alex, you, you, I guess, pass for what is balance on this show. I guess, I guess, I don't know what that means because no one's ever claimed that I was balanced. So, uh, <laughs> the yes, imbalance, Michael, yes, Alex exactly. Lindsay. And also, of course, my good friend, Owen Thomas, who is now a columnist at the San Francisco Examiner. I'm going to keep saying the Herb Kane of Silicon Valley until somebody stops me. Uh, you're it. You're the I'll guy. Keep, I'll keep taking it. I'll keep taking it. <laughs> you're the guy. Hey, I want to talk, uh, take a break for uh, one of our sponsors and talk about something I've been using now for more than a year. Lisa and I both have. It's called Noom. I probably, like you, saw a lot of ads a couple of years ago uh, for Noom, this new weight management program. And I saw the ads and I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Finally, one day I got tired of the yo-yo dieting I'd been doing. I said, let me try it. And Lisa, my, my wife, to her credit, said, I'll do it with you. She's slender. She had a few pounds, I guess, to lose. I didn't seem that way to me, but she felt that way. So we both do it. Now, Lisa is the poster child for Noom. She lost 10 pounds and has kept it off for more than a year. I lost about 16 pounds it's been up and down a little bit, but every time I lose some more, I just do more of those lessons in Noom. It really, really works. When you decide to lose weight, it, it's more than just the number on the scale. There are other reasons, more health, right? Or uh, uh, because you want to look better. Um, and there's lots of reasons that's hard to do. Uh, you know, with Noom, you learn about what it is that's causing you to eat. Do you eat because you're bored? Do you eat because you can't pass up food when it's free? I can't pass up food, period. If it's if there's a cupcake in front of me, I will resist. But eventually, I'm going to eat that. So that's what Noom really helps you with. It helps you break the cycle, understand what you're doing, and break those habits. Change them for good. Noom Weight uses psychology to help you understand what's going on in your brain so you can learn to make healthier choices every day. Losing weight starts with your brain, not with your mouth. Not with, your, not with your fork. It starts with your brain. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices, why you're craving. I am a stuffer. I will go home unconsciously. I will eat 1,000 calories before I even notice it. And, and as soon as I learned that, I was able to control it, which is amazing. I'm very much aware of it when I was completely unconscious before. Numway really works. More than 4.6 million people now have lost weight. On average, 15 pounds in 16 weeks. That's exactly what I did, by the way. Uh, we know, we have friends who've lost much more. Brianna Wu lost 100 pounds on Noom and has kept it off and looks great. We have one of our uh, chatters, one of our regulars in both Discord and IRC, went on that Alaska cruise with us 
and and I said, where I, I, I knew he was going to be on. And I said, I texted him. I said, where are you? I don't see. You. He said, he texted me back. Uh, I'm standing right next to you. I didn't recognize him. Well, he shaved his beard, too. So it wasn't completely the weight. But he'd lost 60 pounds in Noom. And yes, he was a new man. He really was. Noom's flexible program focuses on progress, not perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or create some other weird restrictive diet. I don't know about you, but I found when I have something restricted, that's the one I want, right? Can't eat any more pasta. I need pasta. And eventually it breaks you down. Noom doesn't do that. But I got to say, everyone's journey is different. You get personalized lessons to your goals. That's why when you sign up for Noom, you're gonna they're going to ask you a lot of questions. I know it takes some time, but that's really to kind of prepare those lessons to fit exactly what your needs. They use things like cognitive behavioral therapy, which really, really works. If you have cravings or food FOMO, I have big food FOMO. Noom Weight can help you lose weight while still enjoying your favorite foods. And you could choose the level of support. You could do five-minute daily check-ins. You could have personal coaching. You have groups. And, of course, you have those lessons. You can spend as much or a little time on those as you want. I think the lessons are fantastic. Noom has published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles to inform users, practitioners, scientists, and the public about their methods and effectiveness. Peer-reviewed scientific art- articles. These, these really, there is a real basis for Noom. It's not a gimmick. It's not a fad diet. It's not a diet at all. It's an education program that helps you stay focused on what's important to you. Noom Weight's psychology-based approach. It worked for me. It worked for Lisa. It worked for Brianna. It worked for so many people I know. Sign up for your trial today at Noom. Dot com slash twit. Honest, it really, really works. N-O-O-M dot com slash twit. And of course, sign up for your trial. You can see if it f- works for you. There's also a book. They just published their first ever book, The Noom Mindset. The Noom Mindset, a deep dive into the psychology of behavior change. If nothing else, get the book and read it because I think it'll give you a better idea of what Noom's all about. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Noom, N-O-O-M dot com. Slash twit. We thank them so much for their support of this week in tech. So that wasn't the only thing the Supreme Court did this week. There were two other cases that some say, I don't know, is it hyperbole, Mike Masnick, to say the fate of the Internet rests in the hands of these nine justices? Well, potentially, it, it may depend on what they what they have to say in ruling about these cases. Justice but, Kagan, uh, when she in the uh, I listened to the oral arguments, which was great fun. Uh, Kathy Gellis, your uh, your contributor, was there in the room. Yep. She's admitted uh, to the Supreme Court. Um, Justice Kagan at one point said, "These are not the nine greatest experts on the internet," <laughs> and I and the and the room la- burst out in laughter, which I didn't. I don't think is very common in the uh, in the chambers. But uh, she was, and, and other justices felt the same way. Admitted that this is a big decision. So there were there were two of them, but this was Gonzalez versus Google, the family of a young woman who was killed in you know tragically killed in Paris uh, in an ISIS terrorist attack. For some reason, the family decided to blame YouTube, even though there was no direct causal connection. And in particular, the YouTube algorithms recommending ISIS videos, radicalizing uh, people. Uh, And it really threatens Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, this 26 words that some say saved the Internet, made the Internet, that say that uh, uh, you're not responsible, whether it's a website or a a chat room or our discord or our mastodon instance 
we're not responsible for the content people or YouTube post there. Uh, that is not something we're publishing. So we ha- it gives us two rights. One, the right to leave it up. Two, the right to take it down. We can't be sued for either. Right. Is that a fair? You've, you have the best page on tech data. <laughs> Somebody has directed you to this page on Section 230 because you got it wrong, and it's commonly wrong. In fact, I saw a Mastodon toot from you saying, would somebody please refer the New York Times to me before they write about Section 230? Because they just get it wrong. Why? What is it that people get wrong? Why don't they understand this? There are so many things that they get that that people get wrong about two thirty. It's it's hard to to summarize them in a in a short form. That's that's one of the reasons I wrote that article that has all these different things. And and what's funny is people get it uh, you know wrong based on on what they want the law to be. Often the exact opposite of what it is. You know, some people think that if you if you moderate too much, that you lose your two thirty protections. For example, which you know the law is actually explicitly the opposite of that. It's so you that, can moderate. Exactly. And it was it was put in place because of a case that that said the opposite, that there was, you know, Prodigy was this company that that had moderated and lost, uh, you know, and and what became liable for content on their forums because they had moderated and 230 was designed to protect that and and fix that. that, Ron Wyden, by the way, second name time we've mentioned him. Uh, mm-hmm. is the guy who wrote 230, and he kind of felt like it was needed because of the CDA. Like he said, we've we got to carve some some safe harbor out for the Internet so that people can publish, so they can have forums, they can have communities. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, it, it is a really, it's a very simple law in, in concept, which is, you know, this idea, the, the real idea behind it is that you want to put the liability on the party who actually did the whatever is violating the law. Uh, rather than the tools that they use. And, you know, if, if you think of it that way, then it becomes a, a pretty straightforward. It makes pretty, sense. Yes. Right. Uh, and, you wrote and, it. <laughs> and, but for whatever reason, uh, people have a lot of trouble with it. And they just really believe that, you know, especially in, in this case, you know, the real focus of, of the Gonzalez case was whether or not the algorithm, the recommendation algorithm is protected by 230 or not protected by 230. That that was uh, one. And I have to say, I came around a little bit. We had a d- bit of a debate. Uh, Jeff Jarvis spanked me on This Week in Google because I said, <laughs> well, couldn't you? I mean, look, no one loves these algorithms. These algorithms are are, are there to make more money, to make more sticky content, to promote content that keeps people watching. And and not I'm not saying it's intentional, but inadvertently as a result, they tend to push more extreme content, more and more extreme content because that keeps you engaged. So shouldn't they be liable for that? So there are a couple... A couple, a couple things on that. One, one is, you know, whether or not they actually do push more extreme content is there's there's less and less evidence of that. There were a couple of reports from from seven or eight years ago that suggested that there have been multiple studies in the last like three to four years that have actually suggested that's not true. That what the companies have discovered to some extent is that if you're just pushing people further and further down an extremist rabbit hole, that's actually not good for business. It's your advertisers get kind of mad about. Well, it. that's true. Uh, huh? Yeah, look at you know, look users at Twitter. Get, yeah, users get angry and and start to to go elsewhere. You know, there are all sorts of reasons why companies actually don't. You know, the, you know, there is this belief certainly that algorithms are only negative and and bad. Um, you know, and the reality is that for the most part, the you know many algorithms are actually somewhat helpful. Um, you know, I think I think the internet would be a lot worse without many of these. Well, there was an amicus brief filed by Reddit moderators. Yep. who said without algorithms we couldn't do our job not you know and this was the problem and you know what's interesting 
the justices actually seemed to get it. Even, I was surprised, Brett Kavanaugh uh, basically said, you know, this isn't for us to decide. This is for Congress to decide. Uh, yeah. Justice Clarence Thomas said, algorithms, you got to have algorithms. Without algorithms, there's no Internet. Uh, he, he likes those weird analogies. I think he talked about a pizza <laughs> joint or something. But in any event, he got he got it. I, I was kind of impressed. Um, it's, yeah. It's, I, I mean, it's go ahead, it, it is an interesting question that that point that, you know, without algorithms, you can't have the Internet. Obviously, we had the Internet before algorithms when moderation was done manually. It does not scale. It just up. doesn't scale. We had Yahoo, yeah. right? Yeah. Yahoo was done by humans. Yeah. But it was quickly superseded but, by Excite, Alta Vista, and eventually Google. Who used algorithms? And it is an interesting question. Is an algorithm, is it speech? Is it conduct? Is it a product feature? And there is a case it has that I don't believe has made it up to the Supreme Court. It's being considered by a court in Georgia uh, about Snapchat getting sued over a speed filter that showed how fast you were oh, going yes. when, when you posted used, a Snapchat I used that on the Shinkansen in Japan to show how fast I was going. But unfortunately, people also use it while they're driving. Right, and and the the point by the made by the plaintiffs, I believe, was that this encouraged people to right. you know use their phone while Drive driving, recklessly. Which is, yes, which is, right, and you know, um, is it uh, Snap ended up pulling the feature, making it kind of a, a moot point going forward. But that principle of you know is a is the way that a a site that happens to host speech by its users, uh, the way it operates. Is that itself speech by the publisher of the site? Is it tied into the speech of its users, or is it you know, or is it something be, besides speech? I think that is a fair and interesting legal question. Uh, but I'm I'm sure it's, Mike and Alex have thoughts there. Yeah, it's I mean it, it's it's a tricky thing, but it gets back to this this simple question of who who is the one who is actually violating the law, and and what is the 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 law that's being violated and how is it being violated? So, you know, I, the, the, the snap case, uh, in terms of the speed filter, I actually think there've been a couple different cases with that same sort of fact pattern. And I, I think the one that has gotten the most attention, which is, uh, snap v lemon. Um, I think that was decided in incorrectly where they said that, that snap doesn't get two thirty protections. Uh, that case is then gone back and is it's currently in discovery about whether or not snap is actually liable this was one of the mistakes that the new york times recently made in, in their reporting they said that the court said that snap was liable which has, has not actually been determined in, in a court yet um you know so if you look at that case as an example you know what is it that snap is actually doing right so they have they have created this filter that tells you what your speed is is that encouraging speeding you know, that's kind of an open question, you could say. But even if it was, is that by itself violating the law? Is encouraging someone to speed by itself violating the law? It's not. So, you know, the idea that there's some sort of legal liability here beyond that uh, doesn't really make sense. The person who is violating the law is the person who's actually speeding. And so, you know, putting the blame on the person who's actually speeding is the, the right thing to do. And all that 230 does in, in these cases, you know, in this case, they got around 230. But, you know, is make sure that you're talking about putting the legal liability on the party who's actually taking the action which violates the law. Right. But but my product liability, you know, does not product liability law does not forbid you to manufacture a product that could be dangerous. It's it's all a question of when you discover that the product is dangerous, 
who's well, at fault. Here's a, a similar example. Who's responsible if a Tesla running full self-driving uh, causes a fatality? Is it the driver who used the full self-driving? Under your argument, Mike, it would be, but I think Tesla advertising full self-driving when it clearly doesn't work might give them some liability too, right? As right. What if you take advice from chat GPT? Yeah. Oh, there's your problem right there. Uh, the, 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 the court in the Lemon versus Snap said, well, Snapchat made a product that was unsafe in effect. Um, and, which and, doesn't and seem hard. unreasonable I mean, so, to me. So, I mean, yeah, and, right, and, you're, and, and you're free to make products that are unsafe. It's just you will be you'll be liable for liable. It. And clearly yeah. the kids who, right. you know, caused the fatal crash were the, you know, the main culprits. But and it's, it's, Snapchat but it's does also, have a responsibility, I, does, don't they, not to make stuff that encourages well, bad behavior? I, I don't know. But I, but I think that it's, it's, it's one thing for you to build a tool that actually generates behavior, which is, which is what all tools do. I mean, you know, you, we oftentimes say when we're talking about measurement is that you don't measure what matters. What you measure matters. <laughs> it becomes something that's important. And if you look at, if you talk to YouTubers, for instance, they are, you know, they are obsessed with the algorithm. <laughs> you know, like they are obsessed with... What does the algorithm do with when people watch this a certain amount of time? How does it handle the, right. the thumbnails? How does it do all these other things? So they, they behavior is definitely driven by those algorithms. Um, and so the thing is, is that that's when you're generating those things, if it's generating bad behavior, that's one thing. But then the other side of this is like when people put things on TikTok that are dangerous, um, you know, do you have a, I think part of this is, and this is where 230, I think, comes into a little bit more of a situation is it, when, when you're creating something as a company, you're still probably liable. When you are um, allowing content to go onto your site that is driving people towards a behavior, you know, some kind of herd behavior that is damaging, are you liable for that? Um, now, I think that, I, I think the idea of tampering with 230 is terrifying. Like, like there's, I don't think that there's any version of this, any way that you can unwrap 230 in a way. And I feel so strongly about it that when someone on Twitter or somewhere else posts anything that's positive about like un dismantling or even tweaking 230, I immediately make an intelligence decision about them. <laughs> like, 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 you know, like, <laughs> oh, I, agree. I, I disagree. It's not like I disagree with you. It is. I will never believe You're an idiot. you yeah. on anything ever again. Like, like, you know, like, like it is the, the, you know, there's I this, guess you know, I, a lot of times we, we, we think of risk as the chances of something going wrong multiplied by the consequences. Like that is the math of risk, right? And the chances of something going wrong are mediocre, medium, but the consequences, consequences are catastrophic. Yeah. You know, like, like, you know, like, and you're just talking about fiddling with something that we've built an entire, and whether it was perfect or not, it doesn't matter anymore. Well, actually, that was interesting. That One of the judges, I think that. it was Kavanaugh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, did in effect say that, uh, that the consequences to the economy of changing 230 yeah. could be dire. Yeah, that, that was Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh, honestly, and I, and I wrote this, you know, I'm kind of hoping that he writes whatever the decision is out of this. Uh, and I, I would not consider myself, generally speaking, a Brett Kavanaugh fan. Uh, but I was, you know, he, he's ruled on a couple cases that sort of touched on Internet and free speech issues and really actually does seem to get that and to, to get the deeper nuances here. And that became clear in the oral arguments uh, in, in both of the cases last week that he really seems to recognize that that getting this wrong will have massive, massive consequences for, for both speech and for sort of economic development and innovation. And so he he's the one who seems most spooked by the 
the, the possibility of getting this wrong. Uh, and I think that's, that is the right attitude to have. Yeah. Is it, but is it, is it, is it possible to narrow section 230 without, um, without overturning it? You know, Um, like, not, not that I've seen. Like, I, I of course, I am, I am open to the idea that that is possible. If somebody could show me a way to do that, and to date, n- nobody has shown me a way that doesn't really obliterate the entire law. A- every sort of narrow change to two thirty that I've seen, in reality, obliterates the law. And 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 Kathy Gellis, my colleague, wrote a piece uh, a couple of years ago, I think, that, that effectively said that, which is that you know a- any reform to two thirty really is a repeal to two thirty. And and this gets in somewhat into the weeds, but it, it's sort of how two thirty actually works and and what the mechanism is, because I think people sort of get confused by that. The reality is that Section 230 is the sort of, you know, uh, procedural benefit that gets rid of frivolous cases very early on. And if you change that in any way, all you're really doing is asking people to have to go through long and expensive uh, court processes in order to prove that they were right in the first place. And and once you've sort of opened up the legal process and the expensive This reminds part, the dis- me of, dis- of fair use. There, there, there are there are fantastic similarities to sort of the fair use thing because fair and, use and the, means you go to court, right? I mean that's the the famous Larry Lessig line is fair use just means the right to hire a lawyer, yeah, right? Because that's that's all it is, and you're going to have to fight over it. And because of that, what happens? We really don't have fair use. It's we don't a chilling have clear, effect. Yeah, it, it, I am very careful yeah. about what we put on this podcast because YouTube will take it down, even though it's fair. I know it's fair use. And if right. I asked them, they'd say so. Certainly a lawyer would. doesn't matter. It's a chilling effect right. because I don't going to go to court to defend. Right. So, so almost any reform, and I would say every reform that I've seen of 230 uh, really does that. It basically just means you're going to have to go through a very long and very expensive court process, which means many companies won't. They'll just back down. Oh. And it sort of gives, gives people a heckler's veto uh, that would stop whatever it is those companies are doing, That's a really whether good, it's good or bad. That's an excellent point. <clears throat> because just even slicing a sliver off means suddenly, well, now the court has to decide. So right. you you really by 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 not keeping it a an integral whole, the the whole is what protects you against frivolous lawsuits. Any sliver does that make sense, uh, uh, Owen? That any sliver then now suddenly we have to adjudicate. Well, I think you know I I I think that Mike does an excellent point. Uh, Mike does an excellent job of untangling like so what good, is actually in Section two thirty, yeah. you know, versus say the First Amendment, um, and you know. They definitely are intertwined in that, you know, like your First Amendment right to put something on your website or not um, is kind of, you know, is fundamental to understanding how Section 230 plays out. But, um, you know, I, I, I do wonder if if what we're at, what we're after is the underlying um, speech or conduct and putting the, you know, putting the right responsibility, the right liability where it belongs um, we do have to look at these cases where it's, you know, is this really speech? Is this really, you know? Well, and, and I would say, and this is more about the Snap versus Lemon case, you don't want a carte blanche to let companies create anything they want. And, you know, you do want some product liability. This, I mean, you don't think- want to say Section 230 extends so far that a company could do anything it wants. And if somebody does something stupid with it, it's their fault. 
I think that I think that the thing is is that the company's doing something is one thing. Their users doing something. So I think that's the important piece is when their user puts something on their site, then that protects the company from that. When the company does something, and and I've worked with a lot of these companies, and so they 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 pay a lot of attention to liability because generally, if you this is a very different thing. Well, and in that the was Gonzales the debate. Case, though. You're talking about claiming. That was the yeah, debate I mean, in court was, did Google's algorithm, was that the company doing something, right? Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, it's it, 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 the company creating a product that affects many, many things and may inadvertently affect something that they're continuing to work on, I think is one thing. Them creating a contest that obviously drives people towards a, an unhealthy behavior is a different thing. And I think that the, I, I do think that an algorithm that is generally working for most people and happen to do something which they haven't even proven yet, um, is probably, you know, something that is very hard to, to, to plan. And again, I think that, I think the 230 is, is imperfect. I think that it probably could have been written better with hindsight. They were writing it. We have to remember that 230 was written when they had no idea what was, what was going to happen. Like it was, and so now we've built it's, it is, but now it is a cornerstone, you know, or a, you know, of, of a giant building, which forms the world's economy. And you're talking about like, well, that thing was a, a little, little off here. It should have been. Why don't we just take this centerpiece, there. this part out of it? And, and oh, if it, again, the consequences is, eh, we don't get it right. It'll have the, like, the, the entire corner. The falls over. You know, it's like, it's like saying, it's like, like, yeah, I think we, I think we're going to change um, and have the, the uh, gas be something slightly different. And all engines and all, um, you know, all gas stations have to change if we do this. Or someone can pass a law that forces everybody to change it. Everything across the United States. Now you're talking Formula um, One. That's a different matter. No, but, I mean, but, the, but, but, but we're going to change the formula of gas and we're going to just say that that's going to, you know, we'll just tweak it a little bit and see how it works. And, you know, it's a big economy that, that you're, turn, you're, you're starting about turning over. So I think that I think it's so dangerous. Like it is it's just it's, it's again what we call fissionable material. Like you, you could really cause so much damage. There was a quote I saw yesterday that uh, Section 230 is the, the load-bearing wall of the Internet. Mm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and I, I think there's some, some truth to that. And, and just to, to, to make up an important point here, you know, when you start to talk about the difference between speech and conduct, which is where a lot of these discussions are going and, and sort of where, where I think Owen was going with his comments and, and where, like, the Julia Angwin New York Times opinion piece last week was saying, oh, separate out, uh, you know, speech and conduct. Um, you know, the problem is that every single plaintiff, and every single plaintiff's lawyer know exactly what they'll do in that case. And that is they will declare everything to be conduct rather than speech. And then you're at that point that I was talking about where you have to litigate it. And once you have to litigate it, you've lost all of the value of Section 230. Even if the defendants in all of these cases are going to win, just the fact that you've now set it up, that you have to litigate the question of 230 and then go to discovery, perhaps go to trial, uh, you know, all this stuff that is extremely expensive that will force most companies to either change their practices or settle cases too early, even if they would have won in the long run, effectively wipes out the the tremendous value and benefits of Section 230. Angwin's uh, piece, which she probably did not write the headline for, but it, it definitely had a link bait headline. It's time to tear up big tech's get out of jail free card. Uh, yeah. That's the kind of rhetoric that really does spark flames. <laughs> 
I, I, yeah, I, I wrote a response to this and, um, and at first I, I actually had a whole paragraph where I said, you know, she probably didn't write the headline and, and I sort of, you know, ripped apart the headline. But then as, as I was going through the article, she basically did say almost exactly that uh, in the article. Okay. And, and so I, I, I pulled that out. She might not have written the headline, but she got pretty close to it in, in the article. I think, you know, and, and I have tremendous respect for Julia Angwin. I think she's a wonderful investigative reporter. I think a lot of her reporting has been really, really important over the last decade in terms of exposing, you know, questionable activities by all of the big companies. And I think that that's, that's a really valuable thing, but I do not think this was her best work. And in fact, I think it had, it had multiple factual errors and then it really just did not understand what section 230 does and, and her focus on, on how to, what she claimed, fix the law, um, or take away the get out of jail free card, which it is not a get out of jail free card. This is a very important point. It is a put the liability on the actual party that did the wrong thing card and, and, you know, get the, the innocent tool provider, uh, away from having to, to deal with an expensive litigation. Uh, you know, vexatious litigation card, uh, you know, once you begin to understand those things, you know, her piece was was very, very confused and, and misguided. There's a certain similarity between the first discussion we had about encryption, both enabling good things and bad things, and, and her arguments against Section 230. She, she asserts that Section 230 lets big tech kind of get away with stuff or, or defer responsibility for things they uh, create. And I agree with you, Mike, it's a little hard to justify. But it is kind of that argument that there are benefits from 230 and there perhaps are adverse effects to 230. This is the way of the world. Nothing is yeah. 100% good or 100% bad. But we do have to decide what's important to us. And I think I would say... Encryption is important to us, to security and privacy. And 230, I know, is important to me. I wouldn't have a chat room. I wouldn't have a Discord. I wouldn't have a forums. I wouldn't have a Mastodon if I were liable for everything, anything somebody puts there or anything I take down from there. So in, in, the, in the balance, I think that's more important to preserve that discourse on the Internet than it is that Facebook maybe can get away with, you know, redlining for some period of time. You know, you know and, and- all I'd say is that, you know, uh, approximately 46,000 people die in cars every day, every, every right. year, you know, in the United we States. We don't ban cars. They are very useful. Yeah. Um, they, they, no, just, just regular cars. People live in their lives. 46,000 people die. Right. Bad things happen because cars exist, you know, and, and it doesn't, you know, you're not going to get to a point where we get that to we zero. We do, though, Alex, regulate, significantly regulate vehicles. For that but reason, the primary regu- and I will admit that the primary regulation of vehicles is uh, lawsuits. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know right. like liability is the primary way that vehicles are, are are regulated. But at the same time, what I would say is that there's nothing going to. No, you're not going to ever be perfect. You know, you're not going to. You know, you're not going to get. No to law zero. is going to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what we try to do is not have laws cause more damage than they cause good. And it's unclear. And it's just, you know, you're, we have something that is working fairly well right now uh very imperfect but the the consequences of changing this is so radical that it would be i think it'd be reckless and i think that it sounded like the supreme court was leaning that, that yeah direction. Well, you like, never know mike hey, you made that point know. in your article yeah. that you can't tell from yeah. oral arguments what yep, they're going to do but i was quite relieved and i know i'm not alone that they sounded like at least they acknowledged their their limits the difficulty of this and the potential hazards of it they seemed uh yeah. they seemed pretty um clear it, it, 
it, it certainly could have been much worse, but but still, like the devil's very much in the details. They could do one and, little thing that would be disastrous, right? It doesn't have exactly, to, yeah, and, yeah, and and that's the real fear at this point, which is that you know they could they like many people see as like oh well a little tweak won't right. matter that much, and and they don't quite understand you know how that would play out. Nobody understands exactly how that play will play out. Those of us who spend a lot of time looking at this can can sort of game out where we think a lot of these things are going to go and and how much damage they would do. Um, but you know, so the the real fear at this point, they do recognize it. It was definitely like there was a sort of sigh of relief in, in listening to the oral arguments and, and seeing what they were saying that they weren't leaning towards like a, a full scale like two thirty doesn't apply at all. And in fact, like everybody sort of expected that that. Justice Thomas and Justice Alito in particular were probably the main reasons why this case was being heard because it was kind of a surprise. People didn't expect it. It wasn't a strong case. To, to, to take this case at all. a terrible case. That, yeah. Yeah. And so, and yet they were also really skeptical of the plaintiff's argument. And so that was kind of eye-opening. The that thinking if, was if that politically they wanted some excuse to overturn 230. And right. so they were casting around for any 230 case they could. And they, and they, and they gave cert to this case even though it was a fairly weak case. I mean, the, the plaintiffs don't even assert that the people who killed their daughter, I'm sorry about that, yeah. had a, were watching YouTube videos. There's right. not, it's like there's and, no... And, yeah, I, I think that the, that the easiest way out for the Supreme Court is just to declare that there's no standing. Kathy said even at, they could even at this point say, oh, we, we made a mistake. We shouldn't have taken this yes. case. Forget it. Yeah, uh, they can. They can. It's it's called dig, right? It's uh, improvidently uh, dismissed for improvidently granted. Right? I love is, that. I love yeah. that. We, we could dig the case, which is basically we, saying, we never should have taken this in the, in the. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, which which would honestly probably be the best result, but also like kind of frustrating when you look at how much time everybody spent. Right. You know, there were there were whatever you know ninety it, amicus briefs or whatever filed in this case, and every like, major law firm, yeah. yes, which, representing I mean, me. Right. So yes. Right. Uh, would it um, would it uh, open the door for yet another two thirty case to come through if they digged it? Yes. Yes. And, and that's the and problem. We yes. want to resolve so this. We want a it, it firm be, affirmation of two thirty. It, it would be, but but the the chances are of that happening in this case is actually pretty slim as well. Yeah. And you know what is going to happen almost certainly next term. And and some people will say these are not actually two thirty cases, though I would argue they really are two thirty cases. Is that the the uh, Florida social media content moderation right. law and the Texas Florida content Texas. moderation law, yeah. like those were both supposed to be heard by the Supreme Court this term, and they sort of punted on it and asked the U.S. <laughs> government to weigh in, which was weird because it's unclear what the U.S. government is going to say that is going to influence the Supreme Court's decision on whether or not to hear these cases. Um, but really, it seemed like that was a way to say, like, let's not deal with this until next term. Um, and that's going to be an even bigger and more important series of cases. Again, with the caveat, like, that could change depending on what the Supreme Court decides in the Gonzalez case when it comes out in, in most likely June. All right. Does this make you, Owen, glad that you don't write about tech that much anymore? <laughs> um <laughs> No, it actually makes me think that uh, you know it's a great illustration of when when this law was first written and passed in the '90s. You know, we were really thinking about a model of like internet service providers and like users posting on home pages. Or right, Usenet this was users. CompuServe era, right? Yeah, and and it really did not embrace the you know the idea of like massive scale algorithmic recommendation. Um, and even as this is being heard and potentially decided on like that set of facts, that generation of technology, we are moving forward to uh, generative AI. And 
I'm really curious, like, who is the author of speech generated by a chatbot? Is it, you know, is it OpenAI for ChatGPT? Is it the user who is feeding in prompts and therefore operating a program and usually, you know, the operator of a program that produces output is thought of as the author of that that output? Um, news organizations are already talking about potentially suing OpenAI for, you know, ChatGPT incorporating their their work. I mean, there, there's going to be a whole bunch of, of issues that are coming up now that are not going to be addressed by whatever is decided in, in these cases. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that actually came up a little bit in the case. And, and Neil Gorsuch brought up the, the, the AI and the generative AI aspect to it and wondering whether or not the Gonzalez versus Google case actually, you know, how that impacted those discussions. Because certainly when, when that case was brought, we didn't have ChatGPT and all of these things out there. And so now it, it is a really big question. And there was an article last week also on Lawfare. Uh, by Matt Peralt claiming that Section 230 doesn't protect chat GPT output. And I'm not uh, sure that, that that article is that's correct. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people read that and sort of were promoting it and saying, Oh, okay. Well, this is settled. And, uh, uh, I don't think I necessarily agree with his analysis. I think it, it is more of an open question that, you know, I, I think basically all of the points that Owen brought up are unclear. And, you know, is it based on the prompts? And if it's based on the prompts, is that user generated content? I'm, I'm not sure we know that yet. And I think, I think it's a lot more, uh, fuzzy than, than, than we know right now. And I think it is going to be a big battle that, that the courts are going to have to deal with in the same way that they're dealing with the question of whether or not uh, output from these things are copyrightable or whether or not the inputs to these, to, to the large language learning models or whatever are, are similarly copyrightable. There are a lot of really big legal questions raised by the generative AI space, both for copyright and for 230 and for a variety of other things. And there will be no shortage of stuff for, for you to be talking about Leo <laughs> over oh. the next few years. Matt, Matt's I, contention is that uh, in effect, Large language models and chat GPT are information content providers, so protected. Uh, wow. That's a bit of a leap. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure his, I mean, it's, it's an interesting article. It's thought provoking. Uh, and a lot of people were convinced by it. I am not sure that the courts will see it the same way. Yeah. Similarly, I mean, the I, copyright I, office says you can't, you can't copyright a mid journey drawing nor can mid-journey copyright a mid-journey drawing and go ahead you Owen. Could, you, go but ahead you could in theory you could in theory copyright the prompt the prompt if the prompt is if unique. the prompt is creative enough yeah, yeah. To, to to register for copyright it's 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 it'll be very interesting sorry i, I didn't mean to cut we off we live in interest no no no, no. I, I i think there is absolutely going to be a product liability lawsuit um over over generative ai some yeah. answer that one of these chatbots gives is going to be acted on by someone and then they are going to sue the well know, i'll give you a case the company that operates the bot i'll give you a case you could file right now uh malware ch script kitties have used chat gpt to write malware and uh, and use it and if i were one of those people attacked by malware i'd sue the script kitties and i'd sue uh, open ai because they wrote it uh, yeah i'm not sure the court would would uh i mean against the actual person who who Used the malware. They used it. Sure, sure. But, but it but, wrote but, it. But but the 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 AI generator. I don't think you would win that case. I think you would lose. 
Well, I'm not going to file it, so there. <laughs> Let's take a break. I can't afford it, uh, so that's why I'm going to do another ad, and maybe I can after this ad. How about that? Okay. We have a what a great panel. Alex Lindsay, it's so nice to have you uh, in a different uh, venue, so to it's speak. It's fun to be here. It's fun to talk about something other than just Max. Yes. I love Apple. I love Max, but it's fun to have no. a big, wider conversation. Exactly. Thing. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, 090.media to hire him. Officehours.global to get to know him. How about that? Yeah, that's right. Owen Thomas, the Herb Kane of Silicon Valley. <laughs> Columnist at the Examiner. I love your column. Second, we're going to talk about uh, one of them. Hayes Valley is the center of AI in San Francisco. Okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna have to dig down on the on that. Oh one. yes, let's let's dig in. Great to have you, Owen, and of course Mike Masnick, who it's always a privilege when we can get you on, Mike. I know you're a busy guy, <laughs> but boy, what a what a great week to have uh, you and Kathy Gellis on on two different shows. Because uh, I feel like I'm much better informed on all this stuff than I would have been otherwise. I mean, you, you're really good. Really appreciate Always it. Always nice to hear. Yeah. Our show today brought to you by Worldwide Technology. It's the last trip Lisa and I took before COVID. It was March 2020. <laughs> before shutdown began, we went out to Missouri to look at the advanced technology center that WWT has. Were you that you were there too, weren't you, Alex? Did you come up with this? I think you did. Yeah, it was great. Well, not only that, I I I uh, I, I went there. I we 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 spoke. It was a fan. It's, it's we did amazing. a great it's panel. Amazing location. Yeah, great panel. And and really, I was I didn't know that WWT was there. Me neither. And then I've I've actually had the opportunity to build projects with them. Oh, nice. Um, you know, so actually do projects after that. We got together and and built some apps. <laughs> so, oh, that's so, wonderful. Yeah. So, and um and they are just amazing to work with. Like I just have to say that I was thoroughly and now every time i think about something i'm like well then we'll have wwt do this <laughs> because yeah. it's just it, it just they they provide i mean they're super organized super high level um brings me to the ground of like i got a big idea and then they just figure it all out and they somewhat hide their light beneath a bushel uh for instance that app development we never talk about that but uh yeah they do app development that's pretty amazing uh yeah we went when we went to the uh uh out there, uh, Mary Jo Foley was there too. We saw the Advanced Technology Center. This was a, it's funny. This the history of WWT. Oh, I should explain what they do probably before we go much further. They uh, they they uh, partner with big companies for enterprise technology. So if you need storage, if you're going to the cloud, if you want hybrid cloud, um, you know, if you want security, if you need apps done, they do so many things. As I said, I think they kind of hide their light under a bushel. They do so many things. But at the heart of WWT is this advanced technology center. It's kind of amazing. One little building when they started 10 years ago, it's spread and spread. Now it's multiple buildings, rack after rack. Basically, all half a billion dollars worth of equipment. All of the leading OEMs, all of the little emerging disruptors. And why do they do that? Well, initially they did it because their engineers needed it so they could get to know the technologies, so they could spin up proofs of concepts, so they could, you know, they could build projects for their clients. But then they had this brilliant insight. This was a couple of years ago. This was actually after we visited them. They decided to open it up to everybody. They virtualized it. And now anybody who's a member of the ATC platform, and by the way, that's free, can access the labs remotely from anywhere in the world, any time of the day or night. The Advanced Technology Center has hundreds of on-demand and schedulable labs featuring solutions that include technologies representing the newest advances in every area of enterprise technology, cloud, security, networking, primary and secondary storage, data analytics, 
AI, of course, DevOps, and so much more. WWT's engineers and partners use the ATC to spin up proofs of concept and pilots, which helps customers confidently select the best solutions, cuts evaluation time from months to weeks. That's one of the things that makes WWT so special, so nimble. The thing I should really say about WWT is they're business people too. So yeah, they're technologists, but they understand that all this technology has to go hand in hand with your business strategy. It is not existing in a, in a vacuum. And, and so they're very good about understanding what your goals are and, and making it work. And you can do the same with the ATC. Test out products and solutions before you go to market. It's more than just the labs you can do. There's technical articles, white papers, expert insights, demonstration videos. Uh, and, of course, uh, all the community stuff they do, like that panel that Alex, Mary Jo, and I did all those years ago. Uh, we got to go out there again. WWT makes this available to everybody. The ATC platform, it can be yours. All you have to do is go to www.com slash twit. It's free. Check out WWT's events and communities, too, for all sorts of ways you can learn about technology trends, hear about the latest research and insights from their experts. This, is, this company is a partner. That's, that's their goal. They want to be your partner. They want to help you understand this, how it fits in with your strategy. Whatever your business needs, WWT can deliver scalable, tried and tested, tailored solutions. Worldwide technology brings strategy and execution together to make that new world happen for you. Learn more about WWT, the Advanced Technology Center. Gain access to all the free resources. It's really simple. Just go to WWT.com slash twit. Create a free account on the ATC platform. It's time to go out there. I miss the fried ravioli. WWT.com slash twit. We thank WWT for all the support. All this time, they've been a great partner with us. Worldwide technology. Okay, let's see. I think we did our Supreme Court. There were actually two cases. Did the second case not impact uh, Section 230, Mike? That was kind of the impression I got on the, on the Wednesday uh, case. Yeah, the, the second case, the, the fact pattern behind it was actually almost identical to the first case. Uh, but it was about Twitter, reason, right? Twitter and and another uh, you know terrorist attack that, right. that killed someone. Um, there were actually there have been sort of you know maybe half a dozen of these kinds of cases. It's just that these two were the ones that went to the Supreme it fe- Court. It does feel like Scalia, uh, um, not Scalia. Um, he's been replaced. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the Clarence Thomas and Aliotto. Al- <laughs> I'm getting old in my old age. Aliotto's former Alito. mayor of San Francisco. Alito had cherry picked a couple of cases. Yeah. But maybe didn't do the best cherry picking. Yeah. And and so the the Tamna versus Twitter case technically did not cover Section 230 because of the way that the Ninth Circuit ruled on it. So, uh, you know, that case was more direct on the question of whether or not, uh, you know, it was, uh, I forget what the the terrorist act is, the ATA sort of uh, helping terrorists. Um, And so that was more direct on that. And so not directly on point related to 230. They were comparing Twitter to a bank that gives terrorists money. Uh, The Twitter by by putting... ISIS tweets up was in effect aiding and abetting terrorism. And I think that's right. a long way to go. Yeah. It's, it's an argument that is unlikely to, to succeed, but in some ways was kind of interesting because it sort of presented 
the world in which you don't have 230, in which you have to go through that argument and you have to, you know, it's kind of what I was talking about before, where if you slice away 230, then suddenly you have to go through these more detailed, much more expensive arguments in court about whether or not, you know, who is liable for what, which part and why. And so that's really what we saw was like these crazy analogies that were happening and everybody debating back and forth. Is it like a bank? Is it like something else? Which is what you would have to see in all of these other cases that, you know, really silly cases that, that thankfully got dismissed because of Section 230. So the the relationship to 230 with the Tamna case is effectively like, here's what the unfortunate situation that the world would look like if we got w- rid of 230 is we would be arguing about all of these things in every single case where something went wrong and someone tried to blame the internet for it. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be what, June maybe before we get these decisions? Oh, oh. Almost certainly June. In theory, it, it could come any time between right. now they could and dig the end it of the today. session. Right. <laughs> they could. Uh, but but chances are with like big uh, cases like this where there's certainly going to be some debate and discussion in, in the chambers, uh, it almost certainly will come out sometime in June. Okay. Well, we'll wait with bated breath. And it could go, it could, regardless of what they said at the uh, oral arguments, it could go badly for the internet. And- yes. Then we'll see. So enjoy yes. enjoy your Mastodon Discord <laughs> discourse IRC while you got it, kids. Well, that's the irony of this. Everybody talks about big tech, but it, but it, but big tech could could support these lawsuits. It's people like us, you and me, Mike. Yeah, that would just well. That's that's really why big. you know the 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 Amicus brief that we submitted that that Kathy uh, wrote for us. It wasn't just for me. We also had Chris Riley on it, and Chris runs a Mastodon instance, techpolicy.social, for people in the sort of tech policy world. And we thought it was really important for the Supreme Court to be reminded that Section 230 also protects whoever is running a Mastodon instance. And so that was, uh, you know. Yeah, they they somewhat want to punish big tech, right? That's what the right right. really wants to do is punish big tech. And the left, too, frankly. There's... um, (laughs) I, I forget which bill it was, but one bill attempted to impose like moderation requirements based on the uh, the size of a company measured by market cap. And right. of course, 50 million. Meta, 50 million. Yeah. you know, in the in, in the course of uh, I, I think it was uh, Twitter and was Meta, 500 I billion. 500 yeah, million. Yeah, I think okay. uh, 500 billion. And I think their market cap actually fell right, right. below it. whatever the threshold was. So yeah. it's like. You know, they were trying to go after big tech and it ended up being medium well, tech instead. Well, and it's like, it's, it's a good example. You know, here in California, we have this thing, AB5, which they aimed at Uber and right. uh, and Lyft, missed them and and just <laughs> caused mass chaos. This, this yeah. is like my, my resistance to things like 230 are definitely driven from AB5 because it impacts my business a lot. Right. A lot of, no, we, a lot of our freelancers, like, look, we wouldn't have Ann. Ann had to quit his job. Because he was living in California, he couldn't work at Tech Republic because he couldn't be a freelancer because of AB, and, whatever. And AB5 was such five. a disaster. That's it has it. literally shaken my my uh, <laughs> my belief in government regulation. It, it was just so bad. Like it was yeah. – and when I think about what could happen with 230, I think of AB5. And it's so bad that they won't repeal it because they don't – no one wants to talk about it anymore. Like, right. like no one wants to – like no one even wants to have it come up in the press because they, they screwed it up so badly. And and so, but I think that what what happened was they missed the target, just like we're talking here. They right. completely missed the targets, and then just but just hailed every you know like just, you know just buckshot across the entire yeah. every industry. Um, it's just it's a, it, 
complete disaster. Then they started putting in all these all these exemptions for right. industries that had powerful lobbyists in Sacramento. Right. And um, you know, that's kind of a direction well, I, you can see I mean, if they like, if they if start we, we follow yeah. it very carefully in the company that I work in. We we follow AB5 to the letter. So do like, we, you we know, have to. And, have and to. you followed the letter, but I was talking to someone like I was talking to someone in Hollywood, and they're like, "Oh, no one, no one pays attention to that. Everyone just ignores it." And I was like, "Why do they ignore it?" And I'm like, "Because it's a really bad idea." And we and we make videos. Like like the thing is, is that like you know you you um you if they go after knows, us, we're gonna if they go after us. We will bury them. You know, like you know. Oh, good. Maybe so, I can you know, ignore like it with, then That's with Aries. Yeah. You know, and I we I wouldn't. But, oh, and you. But I'm saying like we're you're kind of a freelancer these days. Do you, do you have to pay attention to this? Does this hurt your business? Um, it has it has not come up. There there was a um, there was an issue with freelancers uh, that I think got um, got resolved with with either like an amendment to the the law or like a different interpretation. Um, there was a crazy situation where like you know if you were a videographer it didn't apply, but if right. you were a photographer it did right. based on the number of works. And then like the question about like is a photo shoot. Uh, you know, one work or is like each individual photo. And it's like, it's like if you bring your computer, like there was some, we've had some, some folks that are like, if they bring their laptop, they're, they're no longer fitting under AB5. Like as long as they bring their laptop and their laptop, they do work on it. And it's just, it's just, and, and this just shows you like government run or run awry. <laughs> so it's, yeah. uh, Twitter, speaking thereof, uh, just came in a couple hours ago. Yesterday, we heard that 50 people were fired. Now, according uh, to Zoe Schiffer on Platformer, confirmed by Alex Heath of The Verge, we learn who some of those people are, including the woman in charge of Twitter Blue, Esther Crawford, uh, and most of the Twitter Blue team fired yesterday. Things are going well. <laughs> I mean, Twitter, going, Twitter, Twitter, going Twitter Blue somewhere. is like... The, by the numbers, you know, this thing is never going to be a meaningful contributor to Twitter's. It was something like 100,000 people have signed up for this $8 a month plan. So right. And the, the, the amount of like angst and, you know, agonizing that, you know, that's gone on over Twitter Blue and the verification component of it and um, all that. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's not a meaningful contributor to the business, is the bottom line. Well, and there's some. Uh, speculation, The Verge is speculating that maybe this is the beginning of uh, what some have expected of Elon just putting in his whole team, his, you know, a, a, a loyal to Elon team running everything. Well, the the thing is, Esther Crawford, who was apparently laid off, was the one who famously slept on the, the floor of Twitter and had posted excitedly about it on Twitter, about how, you know, if you really love your job, you sleep on the floor or whatever. And now people are pointing out, well, you know, how did that work out? I loved I, you, Elon. I loved I, you and you broke up with me. She, uh, she, was, the one, she was the one with the hashtag uh, sleep where you work, which yeah. honestly... Just take it for me. Not a good idea. Yeah. I, I have this other theory, and this is based on just a uh, a long observation of Musk, which is that uh, Esther Crawford was getting too much attention. She was pr yeah. prominently yeah. profiled. Yeah. And um, you don't like you know, that. Musk, Musk wants to take credit for everything that happens at his companies. Right. Not only does he want to be the number one person on Twitter – uh, like his most one of his most recent uh, tweets, why can't witchcraft defeat inflation, or <laughs> or something about something something Einstein, or 
Sunday, the first day of the rest of your life, or rewatching. Notice, by the way, how my for you section is completely filled with Elon. <laughs> rewatching Step Brothers, so good. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that, Elon. By the way, a lot of engagement on that. Thirty point four million people viewing it. Hundred sixty three thousand people liking it. Not as many as the first day of the rest of your life. That was one hundred sixty five thousand. I mean, if you were if you were a Twitter engineer who wanted to have you know any kind of career at the company, wouldn't you write a script that just like inflates Elon Musk's tweet counts? Oh, that's that's what they did. Apparently, that's what's happened. That's what they did. I, I think that's that's been more or less confirmed. Is yeah. that you know? I mean, because he he freaked out after the Super Bowl, right? Where Joe right. Biden's tweet got more attention than his did, and he clear you know said that that's clearly wrong. That's clearly a problem because how could that be? Uh, and therefore, they they wrote this this script that, that effectively gave a boost to to Elon's tweets, and he you know they, they it sounds like they had to tweak it, but then he denied all of that. The whole thing is but it's just, happening like, again. But, but is all, I guess yeah. my point, which is it, it did stop for a while, and now it's now he's back, baby. So. <laughs> Yeah, your mistake right. is logging into Twitter. Well, I don't, and uh, I just thought this is for work purposes. <laughs> uh, uh, actually, I like to go to Twitter just to see what the trending topics are. Sure, uh, and not because it's so valuable, because usually it's just nonsense. But it's interesting, I guess. Yeah, I have to admit, like, I think the problem is, is that I, I kind of got off of everything else. Like, I stopped really going to Facebook and I don't really I, I should go to LinkedIn more than I do. And and I don't do any of the other ones. And so Twitter is like my last bastion of where I'm at. So it, it gets into a little like, well, you know, like I'm I'm here. You know, I, I don't have any, you know, I don't do have tweet? a lot of other places. Yeah, I tweet. I, but I, my tweets are, are, are mostly I answer people's tweets and I have funny things to say. I don't really have any strong need for it, but it is useful as an engine for when I need, want to point people towards something. And so, so the, uh, and it's working fine. I mean, I have to admit, I am so aggressive with blocking and muting that my, my Twitter hasn't changed at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it is like completely the same, but I mute like 200 words. I block, I don't know. I, someone just posts something. I go, yeah, I don't want to hear from them anymore. Yeah. Boom. You yeah. know, like, you know, like, and, and I just block things all the time and I, and, and I don't, and so what's happened is, is that I follow audio engineers and programmers and some press people and my friends, and I have an awesome Twitter feed. Like I, when people say, oh, my Twitter feed is, I'm like, you're not pruning it. Like if your Twitter feed is horrible, like I just, I just have this prune, which looks like a chainsaw. But you don't ever like, go to the for you off. tab, I bet you, because the for you no, tab is not you. who you're following. But it, but it, it's greatly affected by it, and it, and it, and my for you tab is fine, you know, like because again, it doesn't show me. I have two hundred muted words, and doesn't yeah, show me a yeah, lot yeah. of things. So that and still so the works. thing is, is that the mute, the mute works inside of that, and it's like yeah. it's politics and other things like that. I just, I'm like, I don't need to, I don't, I don't look at Twitter for news. I look at it purely for enjoyment. And so if I'm not enjoying my feed, I look at who's making me not enjoy that feed, and I just look at the words that they're using, and I go mute that one, mute that one, mute that one, and I won't hear from them anymore. And so the thing is, is that is that it's just it's really for me it's really easy. And again, I I you know I I look at it like I I don't have another platform right now that I'm, that I'm going to go to that has any that has any flow. And so so I I haven't left mostly because there's nothing there's nowhere else to go. But but I but I would say that um, and again just because I don't use the plat other platforms, but I've pruned this one so effectively over a decade. And as soon as I learned that mute words was a thing, I started getting aggressive. And I it's like my favorite toy. Um, is to figure out how I'm going to mute. And I guess you're not Twitter blue. You're not giving him money, right? I am. Oh, you are. Twitter blue. Oh, you're paying. Yeah, because otherwise it's. Yeah, again, it's like, and I have to admit, I work in a lot of countries. I work in a lot of states. 
I look at everything from a very pragmatic, like when in when when I'm in this country, I just do the thing. And for me, Twitter is just the country that I'm in. Sure. You know, like, like, you know, like I, I don't, again, I don't have another platform that I really use other than discord. I mean, I'm on discord and, you know, and I'm in things in my, you know, my own stuff, but I don't have another one to go to. And it is important for what I do. <laughs> so so yeah. it is. And I, and I get, and I will admit, I get at least eight two. I get at least two lattes worth of enjoyment out of it. Um, you know, so, so I, I, I do, I am, I am Twitter blue and I don't know if it makes any difference or not. Um, but again, it was just kind of like, well, you know, sure. It makes me yeah. ill to, would make me ill to give Elon any money, but I guess if I visit Twitter, I'm yeah, just costing him money. So that's not so bad. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't tweet. Know, I will I don't, never I don't tweet my again. $8. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. I, I just don't want to support that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I'm not, I, I'm kind of the, go ahead. Oh, I, I will I, say I, I, the other thing is I just want to say, I have a very low opinion about many people <laughs> that I may give money to. I look no, at that's it as true. Well, I it. Like, yeah. like the thing is, is that if we start talking about, well, I can't buy this because no, this company I admit it, I bought this, Hogwarts I buy like thing. I bought whatever that Hogwarts uh, game you know, was. But, but I admit it. I'm ashamed you know, I, 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 of it. Stopped. I don't usually admit it in public. Like we used to, I mean, we used to think that, you know, lots of people were great and we find out more about them and they're like, no, they're all horrible. So much. People you know? are horrible. And so, yeah. So, so the thing is, is that, so I don't make my decisions about whether I'm going to use a, that based on that, because no, it's just, point. It, you, if you start going, if you start pulling on that tit, you know, on the, on that thread of, I'm not going to use, do a business because. But I'm not reading any more it. Dilberts. I'm sorry. That's it right there. <laughs> no I'm, more Dilberts. Yeah, no exactly. more Dilberts I, I, for I, me. I'll never read Dilbert again. I don't know if I've ever actually read Dilbert. So I, it's really easy for me to it's promise. It's funny when you read it again. now in light of uh, of all of this. The filter makes it a little. You kind of now understand how, why it's the way it is. Sorry, we keep interrupting you. Please, Owen. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, I just wanted to say I, I'm the opposite of Alex in how I use Twitter. I actually use it as a newsreader. Um, I find it very helpful right. for following, for example, the war in Ukraine where, you know, sure, I could go to Google News or you know, or CNN or any number of sources and get like news articles. But I really like following the Kiev independence um, war correspondent, uh, Ilya Panamarenko. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like, and that's, he's still posting on Twitter and, you know, his, his updates are very, you know, very interesting, tactical, um, informative. And there is still a lot of stuff on Twitter that is, is not elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I think we, you, we, but, we dismiss the value that's there at our... Well, but you know, that should also make you angrier era. at Elon, right? I mean, he's ruining this good thing. Well, it was a good thing. I, he's also defending Scott Adams on it, so... Of course he <laughs> well, is. There you go. Of course he is. And it, yeah. It's a really good thing, and, and I, I don't know if it could be... You know, one of the things you look at is these things get built up, and I don't... I don't know what you would replace it with, you know, as far as, you know, what it does. And so I'm, I'm not. Well, Mike and I, I like Mastodon a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I found that Mastodon has almost entirely replaced Twitter for me. Yep. And, you know, the, the other thing is I definitely for, you know, probably a, about a decade was was relying on Twitter as my main source of news. Uh, and, and that has gone away. And now it is a combination of Mastodon. And I've gone back to using RSS readers. And, and God bless them. They're still around. Uh, they're still around. And I, and as I've sort of gotten back into the habit of using RSS readers, which I used prior to, to sort of relying on Twitter, I've sort of realized like how much I missed it and, and yeah. how much better the experience is. What RSS feeder do you use? Uh, I'm, so now because I've gone back, I've sort of like re-experimenting with ones, but Me the too. one I'm using right now is just, uh, mainly uh, is, is fresh RSS, which is a very, very simple, lightweight RSS reader, 
Um, and, and I found it to be really, really valuable. There are a couple other ones that people have recommended that this week I'm going to start playing around with to see, but I found fresh RSS as just, if you just want something very lightweight and straightforward, um, I, I've been really happy with it. Those of us who do, uh, the news need something that we can do a beat check for one of a better word, yep. where we can daily go through and see what all the people are, what all the stories are. And I, that's how I prepare for all the shows. I select stories and and all that and there's it's interesting because there was an rss winner after google reader went away yeah where people just said oh it's over rss is dead but it's not because there's all these little things like fresh rss uh that are uh, fresh rss has been around a, a while but they're kind of they're growing in the in yep. the in the in the abandoned lot that is the rss the universe all of these weeds are growing there's some I use something called Sumi News, which is not self-hosted. It's it's a it's a page where you can follow stuff, and this really scratches my itch. But I also have Net News Wire and you know Reader and all all of these others. I have to try Fresh RSS. You host it yourself? No, I'm using. There are a few hosted versions. Okay. So basically, in order to test it out. Uh, and I've been using it for now, I think about three weeks. Um, I found one of the hosted versions, uh, and I've just been using that. I think it's hosted in France. Oh, uh, so there's I one no I idea. see a lot of people, you know, a lot of geeks using called Tiny Tiny RSS, which is uh, it's a Docker similar. container. It's similar. Yeah. It's you host it yourself. Um, yep. I not. I, and, I, and actually, I, I, I want to create RSSs, and so I've been looking at Feedly, which has cost money. Feedly's <laughs> great, though. Yeah, but it's it's kind of industrial version of I'm going to look at a bunch. What I want to do is be able to look at a bunch of feeds coming in, and then select the select the articles that I think are interesting, and then generate a new feed from that. Yeah. So that if people want to follow that, and I've been well, kind of experimenting. One of with the things that's, that. that you would like about Mastodon is any account can be an RSS feed. So if you yeah. say I'm going to follow Mike Masnick, let me let me look him up real quickly. Oh. What's your what's your handle? It's just M Masnick. M. There you go. So I'm gonna look yeah. up Mike. I see him there, and now I can add RSS to the end of his feed, and uh, I will have an RSS feed of actually, which is a pretty good idea. I should do an RSS feed of Mike. Mike, though, you gotta you gotta <laughs> you gotta uh, put the rel dot me in your I linkings know. there. I know. We gotta there's, know there's it's you, bunch. man. I know there, there are a whole bunch of things that I need to do that I just haven't quite gotten to because well, we're we're sort of debating. We're, we'll probably set up our own. You're gonna do your own, yeah. Mastodon yeah. instance, but like I, I've been sort of waiting because there are sort of these like various forks of Mastodon that are looking pretty interesting that I yes. know people are working on. Yes, and it's like, do I want to set this up and, until that that the, the, some of these projects are released? And so I've been holding off, and that includes like you know. Yeah. What does it take to build a to put together a Mastodon well, server? Shouldn't say Mast. First of all, let's not say Mastodon. Let's say Fediverse, right. and uh, and let's say ActivityPub because really all you have to do is hook into ActivityPub and you can be part right. of this Fediverse. So there are lots of clients. I mean, PixelFed is an Instagram that is based on ActivityPub. Uh, Mastodon yep. is just one instance of some. You know, like in writing some software that happens to hook into the Fediverse, but it's not the only way by any means. Pleroma is another one. What are you yeah, looking the, at? Uh, there's there's one called Kalki, C-A-L-C-K-E-Y, uh, and they have been upgrading it over the last couple months. And they're, uh, so they had just released an upgraded version a couple weeks ago, uh, and they're working on what is effectively sort of a pro level version of it as well with a bunch of other features. And I'm sort of 
holding out for something along those lines. It's a fork um, of Miski. <laughs> yes. So so Miski is is another activity pub uh compatible server which has has some nice features and and a very sort of clean UI uh and it's it's adding in a bunch of other I think really useful features that Mastodon is missing. Um but I'm sort of holding oh, out. Oh, now I should now I need to look at this. Really, yeah. Yeah. I will look at this. We run Mastodon only because three or three years ago in 2019, I um, I had always had something to do with StatusNet, Identica, uh, GNU yep. Social. This is all kind of all the same uh, thing. And uh, we, we used to have the Twit Army, Identica and stuff. So I, I was interested in Mastodon, set up a Mastodon server at Twit Social using somebody called Masto.host, which is hosted Mastodon. Very, very good. It was, I think it was five euros a month. I even, it was so little that I forgot I was even paying for it. I thought, oh, this is free. And then I realized, <laughs> oh no, I've been paying for this all the time. It's through PayPal or something. And, uh, and then all of a sudden something happened around October of last year. <laughs> Whew, we went from like 12 users to, uh, I think 7,000 active users. Uh, and it suddenly cost me $350 a month, but it's well worth it. I just... I th and I'm going to look at some of these other ones. This is really interesting. Uh, the problem is I'm lazy, and so I like a hosted solution, which Mastohost is scratches that itch. But this looks really cool. Yeah, there, there are some there are some really nice things that they're working on too, where they they've sort of recognized some of the limitations of Mastodon yeah. as it is today. And and my guess is that some of the hosting companies, I don't know about Mastohost in particular, but some of the other there are a few different companies that will host Mastodon instances are going to start offering. Other uh, Kalki oh, and, and nice. some of the other oh, ones I'll look as well. At it then. You so. go, you go. You gotta, you gotta do Kalki, man, or Miski or something. <laughs> uh, of course, it, it, uh, that's the beauty of this: is you can subscribe to an account on any of these, and they right. can go into your Mastodon or whatever it is that you uh, you use. It's pretty interesting. In fact, it's so interesting now. Venture capital companies are starting to invest <laughs> in Mastodon stuff. There's a new, a lot of attention been paid to a new uh, Mac app called, um, uh, oh, I forgot, Mammoth, I think it's called, that's venture funded. And uh, that's always when I get nervous is when I start seeing the money, the money coming in because you think, well, but the good news about the Fediverse is no one can own it. So right. go ahead, let them invest. That's fine. <laughs> let them invest. Although, uh, to his credit, uh, Eugene Rothko, who's, Rothko, who's created Mastodon is turned down a lot of investment uh he says no no we don't need that we'll just have our patreon and keep going uh you talk Leo, can i uh, go ahead can i blow your mind and tell you what uh what i was using as a an rss reader two decades yes. ago let's talk about it yes live journal <gasps> live journal let you add rss feeds and you could just read the you know yeah. whatever article you wanted alongside your friends posts and it was such a great feature um and that, in yeah. a way, that was also kind of more like microblogging because you could write short little posts. It was more like a traditional blog sometimes, right, or, or link roll kind of a thing, right? So you could write a yeah. three-pair – you could write a Twitter-style post on that. And, I mean, LiveJournal actually – the technology behind LiveJournal uh, helped inspire Facebook. I mean, it was a right. very foundational right. company, actually. Right. Uh, unfortunately, sold off to a Russian company. 
right. uh, called Soup. And uh, uh, I forget, I, I think it's been passed around now, but uh, yeah, a, a shadow of its former self, but a lot of great ideas there uh, that, that I think actually anticipated the Fediverse because you could take LiveJournal, it was open source code, you could basically clone LiveJournal, set up another site, they had right. no... No problem with that. Right. Uh, well, remember, browsers used to do RSS feeds. <laughs> you could you could open an RSS feed in a browser and read it. So times have, times have changed. Uh, chat room. Oh, I want to do AI real quickly, and then we'll do some uh, other interesting stories. But we, we do want to talk about AI. Uh, this was something they covered on Tech News uh, Weekly on Thursday. There's a science fiction uh, magazine called Clark's World. <laughs> Uh, not named after Arthur C. Clarke. I thought it was, but in fact, Neil Clark, its founder and editor, uh, has written a blog post saying, I got to turn down uh, story submissions because you guys knock it off. All of a sudden, they are submitting AI written science fiction stories because, you know, I guess he pays. His tweet, submissions are currently closed. It shouldn't be hard to guess why. Just look at the graph. <laughs> this is this is the number of people we've had to ban by month. In prior months, it was plagiarism. Now it's machine-generated submissions, and it's gone through the roof. I'm curious how he knows it's chat GPT. Maybe it's just not, it's so crappily written. But then isn't a lot of sci-fi, pulp sci-fi, kind of not so well uh, written? Mm. I mean, I'm 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 sympathetic to 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 the issue of having to wade through all of that, but there is a part of me that's just like, if ChatGPT wrote a really good sci-fi Why story, not? is is that yeah. so bad? Well, yeah, but I think the irony of a sci-fi uh, <laughs> play blocking sci-fi <laughs> articles, like look, 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 the articles are being written by the machine, and the sci-fi thing doesn't take the articles that are written by the thing that the thing perfect uh, sci-fi, yeah. Yeah, it seems like a, it seems I, the problem is, is just the level of production that it's, it's capable of, you know, so that right. if you're paying, the problem is if, if a person's typing, there's a certain amount of effort that is required for that. Uh, if you if you could generate a 20 page book by just continuing to push a button, you end up with, you know, that's what these people are doing, right? They're just yeah. they're just generating whole books and and maybe you pay for it. But if you had this kind of opened, like, I'm just going to pay as we put this all in. It really, you know, ruins it for everyone when, when you, because what will happen is you'll say, well, we'll just start paying a penny instead of 12 cents a word or whatever for everything because it's not worth as much or we won't pay anything. And, and now all the people that were writing things and doing things get, and this is the whole issue with ChatGPT. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Amazon has Kindle books where ChatGPT is listed as an author or, or co-author. So people are just spamming that's when they the list Kindle it. store. Yeah. When yeah. I, I know people who have put books into Amazon that are not. They they did all the images in Midjourney, all of the um, things, all the text in in ChatGPT, and how would you know unless there's too many fingers? Right. You know, like like you know, like so. Well, that's so without never the, show if, hands. If the correct, that's the first rule. If you never correct. <laughs> if you never have fingers, you yeah. can general or glasses. You you can generally um, do. So they're not they're not declaring it. They're not running press releases. They're just putting it on Amazon. Well, and, and as Benji you know, Edwards so. points out in Ars Technica, there are multiple YouTube videos. Here's a few that he found. How to make money with ChatGPT writing ebooks, $800 a day. How to use ChatGPT to make children's storybooks in five minutes and sell on KDP. How to make passive income with ChatGPT in mid-journey, $23,000 a month. This has got to be a gold rush going on. This is... I don't, I don't know if you can uh, really do that, but... And but it's, it's 
Yeah, and and it's not just this one sci-fi uh, journal, by the way. That a lot of literary journals are also complaining oh, about the wave God. of of submissions. And so you have like well, these these automated processes gonna, against. Right. I'm gonna tell you though, sometimes ChatGPT does a better. I mean, it does a better job. It does a better job than I do. Like one of the reasons I have ChatGPT, I you know I subscribe to that as well as Twitter. Um, as, as, well as, as well as Mid Journey, as well as Mid Journey, right? You spend a lot of money on Mid Journey. Yeah, I don't know. It's like forty-eight dollars a month. So anyway, so the um, but the thing Club about Twitter would only cost you seven dollars a month. I just <laughs> um, the, you could do uh, us the, and the Detector Patreon. For I'm less. in Club Twitter, but I think I get some, I think you get it for free. A, we give a, it to you. Get it for yeah. free. Yeah. So so the um so the uh, I'd pay for it otherwise. Um, so the, but the thing is, is that, uh, with ChatGPT, I, what I really find interesting is I love asking it to write a description of something I already know and I'll go write this and it will write this super concise, really well-written right. thing. And there's three or four things that are wrong. And I go in and I go fix those things, but it's actually a better description than what I would have done. The English structure is actually that ChatGPT does the, 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 Strunk and white pass, so to speak, is much better oh, in yeah. ChatGPT than most people who write. Oh yeah, and so you know, so that like th- it does what I would call a strunk, a strunk and white pass. You know, active verbs. Um, well, so that's what it makes it sound authoritative. Is that it has, it's using proper English as right. opposed to research English. Research English is lots of passive verbs, right. lots of run on sentences, lots of other things, and so so it actually reads better than than a lot of those things. And again, I it's wrong almost every time somewhere <laughs> like it's never it's never like oh that's the right answer well, it's, it's not like, optimized for fact factualness right no it's and, but so and again but it, it doesn't make it not useful i know people who are programming that use it all day like they go write this you know write me an app that well, does this github's copilot's based on chat gpt and is quite effective and and, and they and the chat gpt GPT went down. I know there was a, like a division that at some big company that just stopped <laughs> because wow. they were because they've gotten so oh, you know sad. it's such a linchpin. Well, it's just that it's they they're ten times more effective. No, with it coders because, have always pasted code. This is yeah, they've always, and this is just way better than pasting code because right. it, you don't have to figure out how this cut and paste fits in with this cut and paste. Right. You just go you know, and it's not and it's able to write. The interesting thing is it's able to write native code, so you're not writing monkey code. You know, right. native uh, React native and React right. and right. You know, and, and all those monkey code things that are barely that is why we're everything so unstable. And so, so anyway, so the um, so but ChatGPT can just write what you were going to write, but natively. And then you have to go. You need an expert though to fix it. That's the big thing. Is that you know, and with stories, that's where CNET kind of got in a little trouble because even though they had an editor checking all the articles they were writing for personal finance uh, with an uh, AI, still mistakes slipped through and people. We're a little unhappy, frankly. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how carefully CNET was was yeah, checking these we articles wondered. because yeah. because I mean you know there there was one about you know the annual percentage yield on a savings account that just yeah, didn't a pass a sanity check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had Connie Guglielmo on when that story uh, broke, editor in chief at CNET, and. Uh, you know, she said, well, this, these are stories nobody wants to write. These are the dumb stories that, you know, you'd have an intern write. You have an editor check them. And it makes sense for a machine to write it because it's, it's kind of rote anyway. I don't have a problem with them using a machine to insert stock prices in articles. That's fine. That's been going on for years. You probably could write most finance stories and sports stories kind of in an automated fashion. 
But I, I remember uh, I remember a journalist tweeting, uh, a journalist friend of mine tweeting some years ago that, about a story she was getting ready to write and how she needed a drink to write it. And it was like, exactly. yeah, imagine imagine how your readers feel when, <laughs> when they read that story. Like, you know, it's like if if we think so little of these stories, why are we, why doing are them? we actually? I'll yeah. tell you why, because uh, it's good uh, link bait uh, for uh, search engines. That's why it gets search results and then we get affiliate links. I know I was told which are, that, which are not going to exist if you know if well, the true. chatbot you know AI model takes off like you're you're not going to click through to anything right. anymore. So you won't have to. They're almost yeah. they're almost digging their own grave. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know what? We should start having our copy written by ChatGPT. I want to. I want to. <laughs> we have well, and, and, we have humans I mean, we write so our ads, but I think there's no reason for that. I, I think that you're going to end up, you know, like we, we were talking about some of the places that a lot of this is going to go and you're going to see, uh, like, for instance, I think with when you think speech to text and, and a lot of those other things, I think you're going to end up with, like, for instance, all this, all the um, uh, city council meetings or whatever will just get converted to text. Right. Will then be summarized by chat GPT and then put back into uh, text to speech. And so you can just listen to the summary of like, you know, any one of these anytime you want. Well, and, and who needs a local, not even technology uh, to be hard. a local reporter? Nobody, nobody likes oh, doing that on the newspaper, do the city council meeting. So just have chat GPT do it. Well, again, I, I think that you need what we have to do, especially as Americans is always stay ahead of it. You have to like thinking that you're going to be able to take a college, you know, get a, get a degree in it's all going to work out um, is probably that's fading away pretty quickly. That and went away 20 be, years ago, dude. <laughs> yeah. So I've never had one, so I don't know. So yeah, I don't, me neither. You know, I don't have, Everybody I, don't I went to school with in the seventies was pre-med or pre-law. <laughs> I hope they're enjoying their law careers 40 years I in. I don't have a high school. Degree. I majored in Chinese. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, you know, so, so I don't, I don't know, you know, the, um, but the, uh, uh, you didn't I, finish I high not, school. It's complicated. It's complicated. I, I, I made a strong calculation on uh, how many credits I needed and then took study halls, 11 study halls oh, in my last term. Like I was like, I'm not going to do any more work than I have to. I'm just going to sit well, there. And what's funny is I didn't just sit there. I tried to set all the physics records. The reason I did it was so that I had plenty of time. I was like, I'm going to set all of them. I didn't set all of them. I set one. Anyway, and so. Did you get um, a job after this or what did you do? Were you thinking about uh, a job? Uh, not really. I, yeah. I got out of high school and I started working in an electronics company building mainframes because oh, uh, I go. had a skill that that when you're 18 and then you can solder, you become you're really good. interesting. You're golden. That's <laughs> like, all you, know, you need. Start, when you learn to solder when you're 10, <laughs> you know, you're 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 able to wield a. Uh, and then I I started building mainframes and then I um I then went back to college. I had I was able to go to college because I went to community college, so I had college transcripts, and so you, I just transferred from the community college oh, yeah. to Penn State. You played, you <laughs> so, gamed so anyway. it. That's all, you gamed it. Yeah. I kind of anyway. feel bad. I sent my son to a fancy private school in high school, fancy college CU where he took a degree in broadcast journalism and now he's making Cubano well, sandwiches my, with Guy Fieri. So I don't know. I don't. My, my, my wife has a master's from Harvard and yeah. so she evens that out. And the only way we get like, we were able to get an apartment in San Francisco is because of her. Like they she went to have it. Okay. Yeah, it's the same way we bought a house. Lisa yeah. had good credit. <laughs> exactly. She's buying the house, not me, not me. Uh, let me uh, take a little break here with a wonderful panel. I hate to keep you on the hook for a couple more ads. This one is not written by AI. It's stamps.com, and I can talk blue streak about stamps.com. We've been doing it uh, since uh, 2012. I've been doing ads for stamps.com, and we've been using stamps.com. 
It is the way, if you've got a small business, if you're doing mailing of any kind, especially if you've got an eBay or an Etsy business or anywhere where you're doing mailing, you need stamps.com for all your mailing and shipping. It lets you print your own postage and shipping labels. You don't need fancy equipment. You don't need a postage meter. You just need your computer and an internet connection and and a printer, and you're done. We've been using stamps.com since 2012. I've been telling you about stamps.com since 2012. And if you still haven't used them yet, what? why are you waiting? Do you know? Did you know the postage rates just increased again? I don't have to worry about it at all. I just have stamps.com print me some stamps. They have the best discounts in the industry, too. They save you with rates you literally can't find anywhere else. Up to 84% off United States Postal Service. Oh, UPS. The guys in the brown shorts, you get discounts there, too. I mean, really, it's a one-stop shop for all your mailing needs. And Stamps.com will automatically tell you the cheapest and fastest shipping options, so you could choose the best way to ship that document or book or whatever. For 25 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over a million businesses. You get the Postal Service and UPS, everything you need to run your business right from your desk anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting, no parking. It's the best way to sell online because it connects with all of the major marketplaces. You don't even have to type anything in. Stamps.com, whether it's an envelope, a package, printing a label, it'll take your, it knows your address. It'll put your company logo on there. It'll take the address of the recipient from the website. It'll f- even fill out customs forms or or a certified mail, whatever kind of forms you need to fill out, automatically print it out. Blah, blah, blah. Then you press a button, and the and the carrier comes to you, UPS or the Postal Service. They come to you, they pick up the package, you're done. It's the best. The silliest thing in the world, and I still get this. I order from Etsy frequently. And we'll get these packages wrapped with a bunch of twine and tape and 15 stamps manually licked and placed. And it just does not give off the impression of professionalism, a beautiful package from stamps.com with your logo on it and the barcode for the uh, postage, exactly the right postage. How many times I've get all the time I get from Etsy, especially I'll get postage due packages. It's like, dude, get stamps.com. They'll even send you a free scale, a USB scale. So you, you, you always have the right postage. I think stamps.com is the single best way to Level up your business. Do it right now. Set up your business for success. Get started with stamps.com today. Promo code TWIT. You just click the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Put in TWIT. You'll get a four-week trial. You'll get that digital scale for free. You'll get free postage. No long-term commitments. No contracts. Stamps.com. Click the microphone at the top of the page. Don't forget to use the code TWIT, though, because that's how they know you heard it here. Stamps.com. We love them. Thank you, Stamps, for all your support. We appreciate it. Hayes Valley, huh? I'm going to move to Hayes Valley. The Herb Kane of the Internet, Owen Thomas, has a new article in the San Francisco Examiner. The this Apparently, the Hayes Valley in San Francisco is now the place. I know downtown. You tell me, because I haven't been downtown in a while. Downtown, I'm told, is a little bit of a ghost town. Uh, I think that's overstated. Like south of Market, definitely. Like uh, especially central south of Market, and which used to be the up and coming area, right? 
Oh yeah, and that's where that's where like you wanted to be. If you had a startup, yeah, you know, you wanted to be walking distance uh, to yep. yeah, exactly. Like go. That's where you Twitter know, was go, born go to, on the swings on South Park. It's exactly. South Park. Yeah. yeah, and you know. You know, it's where uh, actually a lot of VCs set up uh, set up offices as they kind of migrated north um, from Sand Hill Road. Um, but you don't you don't want to go to uh, you know you don't want to go to Soma anymore if you're trying to like run into a VC. It definitely seems to be Hayes Valley where the uh, the action has centered. And this is you know it's a fun neighborhood. It's um, relatively new in the city uh you know there used to be a freeway there and they tore it down oh yeah oh yeah yeah that's right yeah so you had a lot of urban renewal there Mm -hmm. so you've got like newer newer businesses um and a nice vibe it's relatively convenient pretty central so you know there's lots of reasons why it makes sense um this was this was the most Mm -hmm. terrifying area in town because the embarcadero freeway loomed above you and made shade everywhere no matter what the day was like it was like a cavern it was the worst plus there you know trucks and cars going over your head and nothing nothing good happened there then the earthquake hit in 1989 the freeways damaged and they and they had the good sense to tear it down and it opened yeah this is all this area yeah this was a in this case it was a central freeway but it was the same Same thing uh, same reason why yep yeah same reason why the uh the freeways came down um you know, the, why Hayes Valley, you know, it seems to be something where there just comes kind of is some consensus that, like, people want to get together in person. Why not pick this neighborhood? Um, and, you it's, know, people are migrating and settling there. for Soma yeah. a little bit, I think, right? It's now the yeah, new yeah. place to be. I remember I used to take that Fell Street exit because I lived uh, up mm-hmm. in the Haight-Ashbury. Yeah. And when they tore it down, I was like, well, how do I get home? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> that, that was my off-ramp. Gone forever. <laughs> so you start off, I spotted my target. I, he was wearing a light gray North Face puffer jacket wrapped around a CrossFit taut torso with a conspicuously large wristwatch peeking out, engaged in rap conversation with a younger man across a small table at La Boulangerie on Hayes. <laughs> Here it was, a venture capitalist in search of the next big thing. It, it seems to be the place. And one thing is that you can actually sit down there, like Blue Bottle, which is very famous in yep. Hayes Valley, got it got it started as a kiosk there. It's still just a kiosk. Like, you can't, there's nowhere to really sit there. Same thing with Ritual. Like, you can get coffee there, but then you have to take it out outside and Patricia's Green. So there's just, you know, lines of little tables, perfect for having like a oh. one-on-one conversation between a founder and a I remember uh, Kevin Rose capitalist. saying, I think he was a blue bottle guy. There was a rivalry between Ritual and Blue Bottle. <laughs> Actually, I remember the, the Blue Bottle uh, at um, at Fifth and Mission uh, when I worked at the Chronicle, uh, uh-huh. which is across the street there. That got a lot of, you know, like, startup founder yep. conversations um and that one was yeah. great because it was hidden like it's right behind yeah. that that old building it's it's kind of like this little alleyway that that is uh you, if you didn't know it was there you wouldn't know it was there kind of thing tucked away yeah absolutely um when i when i worked in the financial district actually there was a blue bottle that went from uh closed uh you know during the pandemic like many places to open and like we could always just like waltz in there and get a coffee in like 30 seconds to like packed with meetings um, so I think San Francisco generally is back to an extent people really don't credit. Good. Um, 
And, um, you know, the interesting thing is like, it's not the same old scene that there was at say the, you know, the creamery, which has, which has closed down, um, in, uh, in Soma, it's a new scene that people are building around a new technology. You call it Cerebral Valley because there's a lot of AI going on. I, I can't take credit for that. I talked to Amber Yang, who's a venture capitalist who kind of popularized that term. She said she got it from a friend of hers, Bohan Liu, uh, who just made it an, an offhand remark. Um, and people have, people have gravitated to it. You know, I joke that a lot of times these things are like trying to make fetch happen. Uh, but in this case, fetch seems to be happening. Um, unlike Mean Girls, what's fetch? Oh, have you watched Mean Girls? There's no, a scene where, like, no. there's this one. Uh, oh, come on, Leo, you've got to watch Mean Girls. Oh, I'm so bad. Okay, there's a there's Explain a musical. Actually, you should come down to San Francisco and see Mean Girls, a musical. Okay, um, <laughs> and they're singing. Yeah. Mean Girls was singing. So, <laughs> so it's a famous uh, famous movie written by Tina Fey about right. like the culture of. Uh, high school girls and uh there's this one girl who just keeps saying things are so fetch oh my god like <laughs> short so for fetch. fetching yeah and well not really clear and finally this other girl the kind of the leader of the mean girls pack snaps at her and says gretchen stop trying to make fetch happen it's not going to happen <laughs> i always wonder there's that, somebody which is, trying which is to make now it a happen. meme is yeah. it is so, it yeah, you can if you do it do a meme search for stop trying to make fetch happen you'll you'll find it. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think it's it's, you know, like my instinctive reaction was, okay, come on Hayes Valley, stop trying to make AI happen. Um but like there's going to be a 200 person summit held uh held uh at the end of March. There's a data plus AI summit actually happening in Moscone Center later this summer. There there seems to be like this summer of AI, you know, movement happening. And part of it is just like San Francisco is a really friendly place. If you are a nerdy geek who likes to talk about, you know, generative prompt uh, engineering for hours at a time or like obscure mathematical models, you know, if you're like, if you're a really good time at a party, San Francisco is the place for you. This is good. I'm looking at all these. Uh, I went to knowyourmeme.com, all the fetch happen <laughs> memes. Google, stop, stop trying to make plus happen. It's not going to happen. Stop trying to make Internet Explorer happen. It's not going to happen. It didn't happen. In fact, they killed it. Stop trying to make Bing my default browser. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, wow. This is good. This is good. I like it. And yeah, then that's, if- that's Regina George. Regina George is the ultimate mean girl. Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen, a little doggy. That's my dog. My dog does not fetch. No, no fetching. Not going to happen. That's cute. Uh, uh, Let's talk about Spotify. I have to say, a little schadenfreude. On your article, uh, <laughs> I was going to say that. I was like, Mike Schadenfreude on this one. Spotify's podcast colonization flops. What happened, Mike? Well, I mean, Spotify really tried to to take over the the podcast market and lock it up behind, you know, not necessarily behind its paywall because uh, they were offering podcasts for free. But Rogan was exclusive behind uh, the paywall, or no? Some uh, didn't I have to be was, because as long no, as it was it exclusive, the they could right. sell ads. In fact, Rogan's ads, I'm told, were a million dollars, so they could make enough money on Rogan just on the free stuff. Yeah. I think, I think all the podcast stuff was available for free. Um, but it, it, in, in my mind, they weren't podcasts anymore. The whole idea of right. podcasts That's is exactly that you right. could, 
They were open. They were MP3 and RSS, and you could listen to them on whatever player you wanted. Uh, and what Spotify was doing was putting them exclusive. So there were a whole bunch that they you know, paid off. Big name podcasters, obviously Joe Rogan was the biggest, but a bunch of others as well. And they bought a bunch of podcast studios, including Gimlet famously, and then also, uh, what was it? Uh, the, the Ringer. The, they bought The, the Ringer. Ringer. They spent That's, a lot of money on that one. I was so jealous. Yeah, <sighs> $250 million on it. And so... Ugh. You know, but the idea was then that you could only listen to those on Spotify. And that, they also did that with the Obamas. The Obamas had a deal with Spotify where you could only listen to the different podcasts that they were doing through Spotify. And I kept arguing, like, stop calling those podcasts. It's a proprietary audio format. It is not a podcast anymore. And they were really just trying. And, and you know, the economics of why they were trying to do it was pretty clear because they have to pay for music uh, and, and music. Every time it's played, they have to pay more for it. Whereas a podcast, they could pay up front and, and then not have to pay for every play. And so the economic were there, but I was very concerned that that was sort of killing off the the great open nature of of the podcast ecosystem built on open protocols that anyone could you know mix and match and find the player that you wanted and do all of these things. And so I, I was particularly concerned about Spotify because they were big and powerful and had lots of money. There were a couple other players who were sort of trying to come into the space and do the same sort of thing. iHeart, my former uh, employer, uh, Amazon I, with I, Audible. Yes, I'll tell you what. Uh, I had to stop using, um, uh, what was it? Uh, I think it was Amazon Music because it kept, half the time instead of music, it was it was podcasts. <laughs> and it's like no, no, I'm listening to music, Amazon Music, but they kept saying, but you got to listen to this ad free podcast, ad free podcast. Uh, yeah. Uh, and by the way, can I say there's collateral damage because not only did spotify by those podcast companies and and good for them you know uh, sure call her daddy got 60 million dollars uh for her podcast good for her i'm glad uh they wouldn't give us any money but that's okay that's fine i'm not jealous about that but what was bad was they bought the two companies that we use for analytics that our advertisers told us we have to use chartable and pod sites they bought both of them and they really? turned yeah they turned off chartable so we couldn't use Chartable anymore. We could still use pod sites, but I think it's just a matter of time before they turn that off. And there's only one reason why they would do this, and this is the only reason that pod sites is still, I think, open, is to kill the ad market for everybody else. Because right. advertisers want these analytics. They can go to Spotify. Spotify knows because you're using the app exactly when you listened, how much you listened, which ads you heard, how many people. They know your name, address, phone number, credit card. They know everything and an advertiser, they, they eat that stuff up. So the only way we could compete was with these little, uh, and we did it very in a very private focused way with pod size. We still do, where the sponsor will put a, 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 a pixel on their site, and we will send uh, pod sites our, our download IP addresses. They hold them. They don't give them to the advertiser. The advertiser sends the ad IP addresses that their pixel tracking pixel shows, Pod sites matches them and says to the advertiser, 43% of the people who heard your ad ended up on your website. Those metrics, at least, it's the minimum that, frankly, these days we can offer an advertiser and hope to get an ad buy. But now that Spotify owns it, I don't know how much longer that's going to go. It's chartable. We were using Chartable, and they pulled the plug abruptly, by the way. We hmm. had it. it cost us some deals. So uh, I think they're really gunning for open podcasting. Yeah, well, they they were, but it sounds like they're Whoops. sort of recognizing. 
<laughs> Whoops. <laughs> it didn't work out so good. Daniel X said, yeah. in hindsight, I got a little carried away and overinvested. <laughs> Half yeah, a billion, and, I think, right? Um, more than that. More wow. than that. And then, you know, and, and I believe that a bunch of sort of top executives that, that were running this, the podcasting part of Spotify have all been rushing to the doors, um, sort of seeing where, where it's going. So, you know, it's not dead. They're, they're the still Obama's operating. moved to Audible, right? The Obamas moved. That was pretty early on where they moved and there were some issues there. Uh, and, it, you know, it feels like what, whatever is left of Gimlet is basically disintegrated. Yeah. Um, and, and a couple of the people that they had that were sort of leading the charge for podcasts are, are basically gone. And, and then in the earnings call, uh, Daniel was basically saying like, yeah, maybe we made some mistakes. Maybe we'll, we'll sort of, you know, pull back. On, on the podcasting space. And so as you said it, though they didn't have much choice because they were getting squeezed by the record labels. That business was was, you know, at, at any moment the, the labels could yeah. pull the plug on that. Yeah, and so like I, again like all of the incentives for everybody, right? The people who sold out certainly it, it made sense, but the end result was sort of bad for for yeah. the public. The people listeners. who didn't sell out like right. us not so good. <laughs> Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I directly attribute that. There are other causes as well. But the podcast advertising has gone, fallen off a cliff. NPR said they've lost $300 million in advertising. They're laying and, off 10% and I think of their were, staff. They were saying that the podcasting space itself, that, that advertising, actually the, the total amount of advertising in podcasts went down. And, and fewer podcasts launched in 2022 than in fewer. 2021. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and, and one of the things I think that I was talking to someone about this that deals with advertising and they said one of the behaviors that they were kind of tracking and not sure if it was really making a difference or not was the fact that obviously in COVID, a lot less people have um, are drop, were driving. So, of course, that took a huge hit because they just didn't have the same of the time that they used for it wasn't there anymore. And that the fact that a lot of them haven't the, the thing that they're looking at right now is a lot of them haven't gone back to the office, so they're still not driving. Yeah, and but there, I can tell you from our, correlation own, our own between, information is that the numbers have come back dramatically since COVID. So they're right, and so but but overall, that, that's the calculation they were looking at. They came right. back, but did they come back to where they were pre-COVID? Is, yeah, I guess, the ours did. Yeah, oh, they have. Yeah, that's great. But yeah. and I don't think that that's unusual um, because what's happened also in the last few years, according to Edison, is the number of Americans. And I guess it's true globally, but uh, they have Americans numbers uh, who listen to podcasts has increased dramatically. So the well, awareness and, of podcasting, and that's maybe something Spotify did do as a favor. Uh, and 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 I and I also wonder how much all the the audio books on audio and now news yeah, there's on other audio. Content. So yeah, there's so much. So other I content. listen to. I mean, I'm listening to content all the time. Like yeah. I don't read really read content. I listen to content, and and I but I noticed that that cuts into every. Everything else. If I'm listening to Foreign Affairs or The Economist or or whatever the news over air audio or whatever, I'm listening to all of those things, and then I do li then listen to some podcasts, and then I read books and or listen to books. And so I think people are the the behaviors there. I think the problem really is is that it's just getting spread out to almost everything. I, I do have another theory, which is that um, you know as connected TV grows in usage, and that's you know that's everything from Disney Plus to Netflix with ads. Uh, to the you know the new fast channels Pluto, uh, Tubi, all of those. Um, there's just a lot more options for advertisers, and it's video. It's more att attractive, arguably, than audio only ads. And you know, I feel like 
podcasts are just getting squeezed. We're by, definitely by getting that. squeezed. I don't, I, and I don't know why, but yeah, I mean, YouTubers are getting a lot of those uh, views too, right? Um, yeah. I think, you know, there's always the flavor of the month. Uh, and we were only the flavor of the month for about three seconds. <laughs> so if, if I recall Alphabet's latest earnings, YouTube, YouTube's growth was kind of, yeah, uh, it was, it was flat or down. Yeah. yeah, yeah it was yeah, flat. And, yeah. um, and that's because there's a lot more competition for, you know, basically targetable, addressable, uh, um, online video ad inventory. Isn't streaming suffering though? I mean, I mean, it seems like a, a lot of media is suffering maybe because of a glut of content. Well, I think the, the issue with streaming is more that uh, companies were like massively over-investing and that's kind of like what Spotify did with podcasts. Um, th- and they were over-investing because they thought Wall Street wanted growth over, you know, over every, over profitability, um, really, you know, subscriber count over anything else. Like Wall Street wanted to know that you were spending a ton on content and that your subscribers were growing and they didn't really care about anything else. And then suddenly, you know, Wall Street started caring about profitability again. Um, so it, think- it was it was a land grab, right? It was, you know, try and get in everybody with the idea that that later on down the road, you'll you'll right. be able to own the market someday. Well, and, and, yeah. and I think I think that the other thing is, is that you did have to get in because there was a certain level of saturation. I know that I still haven't subscribed to Paramount because I got to a point where I was like, I can't subscribe to any more of these. Like I just, right. I, I'm on, I have Netflix and Apple and Amazon and, and uh, HBO and I kind of, and Disney. And I was like, okay, I've got so much content right now along with YouTube and YouTube TV that I'm done. And so anything that came after that, that's why I think they had to rush in is because anything that came after that, there's a whole lot of people that, you know, don't want to, buy anymore <laughs> like, you know, that's well and youtube's getting into more. podcasting right they've been slowly yeah. building their podcast tools they now have a uh create button that lets you actually use youtube to create a podcast post it uh i don't know if they think, have to I be think, video which is I, you know what, what's weird about that is like so many podcasts um you know present company included like post on youtube and Right, distribute as an audio podcast. Already do. I mean, a bunch of the podcasts that I listen to, I know, are also YouTube videos. So I, I wasn't entirely clear on what YouTube is it's doing. Just easier here. to do it. Yeah. I think that's all. It's just they recognizing want people, the behavior. So and in in our case, we create it outside of YouTube, and then we put it on YouTube. They want right. you to create it. They want it to be exclusive, ultimately, right? But but is but the the question, and again, like this was not clear to me from that story, is. Is is it going to actually be a podcast or is it going to be proprietary to YouTube again? It's not a real podcast. So it's so like Spotify. You, it's another. If you create, you can upload it. If you create a podcast through this YouTube thing, can people listen to it outside of the YouTube ecosystem, or are they forced uh, to? Within well, it's probably not no, an RSS just, feed, not, right? They're it's, not forcing you to be. You could download it and, and put well, it out. Uh, I'm, but I don't think that you wouldn't be able to, it's not going to be an RSS feed, but what that's, it would do that's is, the, that's, that's what the makes it a podcast. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah uh, I mean, but I look at the push. Here's, if you go to youtube.com slash podcasts, I mean, this is uh, this is a big push for YouTube. They, you know what? They want to own all content, <laughs> right? That's, well, I mean, you know, obviously regular people who are watching content that is that they are listening to every week or every month or whatever is, is compelling for anybody that sells media. And so I think that that definitely makes sense. I think the problem is, is when you make all this stuff easy and they, you know, YouTube's been doing this for a long time. Like you should go live and now you can go live. The problem really is, is that, is that most people don't know how to do that very well. And the, I think one of the problems with podcasts, and this isn't a problem here because 
Twit pays a lot of attention to quality and everything else. But a lot of podcasts to me are unlistenable on a variety of levels, both in the the content, the organization of that content, and the quality of the audio. <laughs> and so most people don't do most of the well, things. Well, and that also, making honestly, it easier to hit the button that doesn't hurts make, us, it, make, make it. That hurts us too because uh, people make judgments about podcasts based on what they've heard. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, the, all the celebrity podcasts that for a while we're going to transform podcasting. The celebrities got bored or got a movie deal and those went. So it's all hurt us because here we've been for 19 or whatever it is years since 2015, yeah. 18 years doing this. And uh, we haven't changed at all, by the way. <laughs> Maybe that's our mistake. We haven't changed at all. But people have made judgments about, and I think our effectiveness for advertisers hasn't changed, and our audience size uh, has has gone up. But that doesn't didn't really doesn't well, really help. Just 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 wait until ChatGPT starts. Oh, great! Podcasts. <laughs> oh, great! Actually, uh, one of our uh, listeners in our IRC has submitted a ChatGPT written ad for Stamps.com. That's quite good, actually. Sound of a busy office with printers worrying and phones ringing in the background. Are you tired of waiting in long lines at the post office just to buy stamps? This is exactly... It's... it's. <laughs> I feel bad for our... Co- we have a, we have a person who writes copy. All. Yeah. <laughs> now all they have to do is make up a podcast, do some voicing, and uh, profit. There, there is there is generative AI voice. Oh, I know. Room, so you can, you oh, can I use know. that too. I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, I did not uh, have a uh, chat GPT write this uh, next ad. We're going to quickly uh, mention our sponsor and then wrap things up. We have a few more big stories. But I do want to talk about ACI Learning. You've probably throughout the show seen the banner for ACI Learning and saying, well, what is this ACI Learning? Well, thank you, ACI Learning, first of all, for buying a studio uh, sponsorship because that makes a big difference to us. But you probably already know them as IT Pro. IT Pro has merged with ACI Learning to create a new and I think fantastic set of tools for you to get into IT. That's what it's all about. Either get that first job or get a better job in IT with IT Pro and ACI Learning. ACI Learning has expanded their production capabilities, bringing you the content you want. And now, thanks to ACI Learning, the style you want on demand, uh, live streaming, or in person with the ACI Learning hubs. So if, for instance, you want to learn a lot of content through on-demand videos, you can do that and then periodically maybe go for a few days to an ACI hub and get some hands-on and experience with an instructor. You can do that, and that's what's great, the flexibility of the and the power of ACI Learning and IT Pro together. IT Pro has been such a success they joined us very early on. They had just started. Uh, Tim and Don were fans. Uh, there's Don Pizzette scrolling by on the screen. Uh, he's still putting all these great videos together. And over the 10 years they've been with us, they've built a 227,000-strong community of IT Pro learners. 6,800 hours of content, always fresh because they're always adding new content. They also get... Uh, all sorts of training. Look at their podcasts. By the way, really good. Don does Technado. And now, because there's Audit Pro as well, the Skeptical Auditor podcast, another great way, if you want to listen to a podcast, to get some sense of the business. The great thing about IT is it's growing. There are more now, jobs now open than ever before, unfilled in many cases, especially in cybersecurity. So it really is a great time to get into IT. 
You can get team training for your team, too, from IT Pro. If you've got an IT team, a security team, an audit team, to keep them up to date on the latest information, get their upskilled, even get new certs and new skills, which is they'll love and you'll love the benefits for you. You can get team training for CompTIA, Microsoft IT, Cisco, Linux, Apple, security, cloud, and on and on. We talk a lot about the CompTIA certs. The entry-level cert for IT is the A-plus cert. CompTIA courses from IT Pro and ACI Learning make it easy to level up your employees who are interested in cybersecurity as well. The cybersecurity certs include CISSP, AWS, ISACA, CCNA, technical support specialist, computer user support specialist, information security analyst, and a whole lot more. They have live chat rooms if you're watching live just like we do. They also have full transcripts of everything so you can read along. A lot of people find it easier to read than listen. Sometimes people like to do both. That's the beauty of this. With ACI Learning now, you have a, a basically any kind of way you like to learn, they've got that for you. Certifications are so important, not just because they certify that you have that knowledge, that skill set, but it also shows your potential employer or your boss or your customers that you're committed to keeping up to date. Your organization is committed to keeping those skills up to date so your stuff is secure and safe, right? Everybody wants that nowadays. ACI Learning can help you with fully customizable training for your team. Their dashboards great, tracks your team's metrics like logins, viewing time, tracks completed, monthly usage reports. You get visual reports you can show to the boss or the stakeholders so they know they're getting an ROI for their investment. Your teams love it too. It's engaging, entertaining, and very informative. So they think it's a real benefit to them. It's a wonderful benefit to provide. And you get the benefit of their uh, skills and their knowledge, which is fantastic. Respected companies and government agencies around the globe turn to IT Pro and ACI Learning year after year to help them maintain their competitive edge, supporting organizations across audit, IT, cybersecurity readiness, ACI Learning keeps you and your team at the top of your game. So for entry-level training or for putting people on the moon, ACI Learning has it covered. Maintain your company's competitive edge with ACI Learning. Here's the website, go.acilearning.com slash twit. Uh, if you want to start today with a standard or premium individual IT pro membership, use the offer code twit30, twit30. You'll get 30% off. Visit go.acilearning.com slash twit go.acilearning.com slash twit a great company great partnership we're really happy to be with aci and uh, it pro we have been over the years and i think you're going to find some real value there so check it out go.acilearning.com slash twit don't forget that slash twit that's really important go.acilearning.com slash twit victor prepared a lovely short video for us about all the fun and games we had this week on Twit. Watch. I put Windows on my MacBook. Ooh, how exciting. <laughs> it's, it's now official. Uh, you can use Windows on ARM <clears throat> in parallels, at least right now. But it runs pretty... It, I was surprised how snappy it was. I was able to play Solitaire just, you know, like that. It was great. Just, <laughs> no, no problem. Free cell, let's not, let's not lose our minds with free cell, but Solitaire. Previously on Twit. This Week in Google. Attorney Kathy Gellis was actually in the courtroom yesterday during oral arguments. The Supreme Court case, Google versus Gonzalez. The future of the Internet hangs in the balance. We were expecting a very hostile 
audience that was holding on to a lot of the myths about 230. We ended up getting a bench that was surprisingly informed and seemed to get it and seemed to understand what was at stake. Tech News Weekly. Mark Gurman from Bloomberg talks all about Apple's progress, the progress that they're making with glucose tracking with the Apple Watch. It uses a technology called um, optical spectroscopy, as well as a new chip technology called silicon photonics. It's using lights and lasers that shoot light into what is known as interstitial fluid, right? And it's able to then reflect back to sensors beneath the watch. And what's reflecting is the concentration of glucose within that fluid. All about Android. Our good friends at Huawei um, actually are working on a uh, working on a new wearable. Uh, and Huawei you know, working on admit, a wearable? A Huawei working on a wearable? Uh, they're called Watch Buds. Uh, and it's a smartwatch with earbuds that dock inside the watch itself. If you missed Twit this week, you missed a lot. Yeah. Some really interesting. This has been a good week for uh, tech news. A lot of interesting stuff happening, and we covered it all on Twitter. A few more stories before we uh, wrap things up with our wonderful panel. Mike Masnick is here from techdirt.com. He's on Mastodon Social. M. Masnick, yay, M-A-S-N-I-C-K. Uh, you could follow him with his RSS feed. What is it? What do you do? Slash RSS? Something like that. After the end, of I, it, forget. I forget. I forget. But you, you could Google it. You you could or Bing it. Bing it. You, ask Chat GPT. It'll know. Uh, also with us, Owen Thomas. Great to see the Herb Kane of Silicon Valley, columnist at the San Francisco Examiner. So nice to see you from your house instead of the boring old protocol offices. I like uh, it. It was a it, it was a nice perch downtown, but uh, yeah, back in North Beach. Yeah, are you are you North Beach? I love North Beach. Used to live there. Do you ever oh, yeah. well, do you ever go to Mario's well, Bohemian right. Cigar Store for a focaccia sandwich and a latte? Uh that's uh that's on the other side of Washington Square, you know. It's it's kind you of go fun. across we, Washington Square. Come on. I, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a Freddy sandwiches kind oh, of Oh, okay. But you're on the side of the good focaccia over there. That's the best focaccia. right next to the church. There's a Oh, Liguria Bakery. Liguria. Yeah. Oh my god. But you have to like they they start baking at like five in the morning and they're sold out by eleven. There's a long line out the door, and if you don't get there before noon, forget it. And then they wrap it in brown paper with twine. I bet they still do. It's oh so, yeah yeah so the best. Oh. The guy just like trolls it and like yeah. it's, it's suddenly wrapped. Yeah, it's amazing. It's so cool. Oh, I'm jealous. I love. I used to. I loved living in North Beach. It's the Italian. Uh, old Italian district of uh, San Francisco, and from beautiful downtown Marin. It's Alex Lindsay, officehours.global. Where downtown Marin? I guess there's Marin City. There is no downtown Marin. I make a joke. Exactly. It's like South Detroit. There's no such thing. Exactly. It's just, uh, it's a concept, not a geographic location. Uh, This was an old story. You may remember uh, a few years ago. Remember that Twitter hack where the kid got on and asked for Bitcoin, said, if you send me Bitcoin, I'll double it. I'll send it back doubled. He, he hacked Joe Biden's account and Barack Obama's account and lots of famous people. Uh, probably didn't make a lot of money. Kim Kardashian, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Benjamin Netanyahu, Jeff Bezos, Michael Bloomberg, and Kanye West. And you knew it was fake because Kanye isn't talking about Bitcoin. Anyway, uh, he got caught. Just a kid. He's 20 years old at the time. Uh, he has now uh, 
being held in a Spain, but a Spanish court has, he's British. I don't know what he's doing in Spain, but a Spanish court has said, yep, he can be remanded to the U.S. extradited for trial there. So um, they got him. I like to do stories where they get these guys because the long arm of the cyber <laughs> it's slow, but it, it eventually, yeah, I don't, I doubt it was a dumb hack. I doubt he made any money on it, but anyway, uh, I don't care whether he makes money or not. I just think that you have to, I mean, like yeah. if you're, if you're out there causing mischief, it should be yep. adjudicated. Right, so <laughs> encryption did not protect him. No, <laughs> whatever it was, whatever, like exactly. whatever he was doing didn't work. Yeah. You know what happens? And I've talked to many uh, people in the uh, law enforcement, the secret service, a lot of these guys boast. They go into chat rooms. They go, hey, I did that. Because if you do that and you don't boast, does anybody know, you know, <laughs> who you are? No, but, you but why do people. it if you can't boast? Why do it? Right. Why do it if you can't tell your friends? That's the whole like, point. I did the thing. Yeah, exactly. So they always incriminate themselves in the long run. Maybe not the ransomware gangs. Uh, Apple has reputedly secured every single three nanometer chip that TSMC can make. For the iPhone 15 and perhaps the M3 chip in upcoming MacBooks later this year or early next year. Now, that might sound like good news. It's certainly bad news for everybody else. But I should mention that even though the yields are good on these 3 nanometer, the N3 process, uh, they're only making about 45,000 wafers a month. So you do the math. That is not enough for all the iPhones they'll sell. It's not enough for all the iPhones they'd sell in a month. What is that? Uh, 45,000 times 12. So, you know, it's five I mean, or six million. It, it's not. It's it, like may a, be a, it may be enough to sell for the, for the, the Macs top or the, the iPads. Yeah, well, the, the Macs or the iPads or, or, you know, something like that. But that's, and, and again, that's usually where it starts. But, and it doesn't sound like, I mean, they may wait another year for the iPhones themselves um, to do this, whereas the they can get it started with the the, the larger devices. We'll it talk about this though. on the Mac break, I'm sure, on uh, yeah. on Tuesday. Um, I mean, yeah, it's good news for Apple. They can they can sew up that production. Bad news for uh, everybody else. Um, this was a little bit annoying. There is currently a lawsuit uh, by the filmmakers who made such. Wonderful movies as The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, London Has Fallen, and Hellboy. These film companies were suing internet provider RCN because they're not doing enough to stop subscribers from pirating on their network. Now, now uh, RCN, which denied most of the allegations, tried to get the case dismissed. Now they're going after Redditors, people who anonymously posted on Reddit talking about piracy, not committing it, just talking about it. Uh, some Reddit users specifically mention RCN. Others refer to ISPs in more general terms, which could be, could be RS, RCN. We don't know. Uh, the filmmakers want to know who these people are. So they have obtained a subpoena. It's compelling Reddit to tell the movie makers who Ben one two five one two five squatting croat griff dog twenty one aromic aromatic botanist Chikara fan compi pack dot Samantha 
I like Pi 96 and Matt 3324 are. <laughs> wow. Uh, I can't believe I can't believe the court went along with this. Reddit, of course, is going to fight it, but um, I think Reddit did turn over one. They Ben Ben one two five one two five got handed yeah. over. Um, I mean, it's it's all of these cases are a little bit sketchy for for a variety of reasons, but you know what they're looking for. I believe what from what it from what details are revealed is that. You know, they they claim that these people are saying on Reddit that RCN was was not killing their account. So therefore, they see it as evidence in, in their case. Um, but it feels like a stretch and you're dragging in these random people. And as soon as, you know, you receive a subpoena, that's serious. And they got a lawyer up. And that's that's, you know, really very aggressive. Sigh. But you know what? The hitman's wife's bodyguards, friends, and family got to get that money. So, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with this. Uh, earlier this week, actually it was early last week, the White House decided not to uh, block the ITC's ban on the Apple Watch. Yeah. Uh, a live core, which makes, and a great product, by the way, the Cardia device, which allows you to do, uh, you know, a kind of a little EKG uh, with your thumbs. Uh, they claim that Apple stole that and put it in the Apple Watch. They're suing the ITC ruled and even the OK. Now, this is what's really weird. The Patent and Trademark Office said, yeah, that patent sucks. And they threw it out. Nevertheless, the International Trade Commission ruled that Apple infringed on this non-existent patent. And uh, they're potentially going to block imports of Apple Watches. Yep. The White House declined this, to get involved. This this one is is kind of crazy because because of the the whole patent and trademark office and, and there was some really interesting timing on all of this, which is that you have these dual processes uh, and this could get into the weeds. So I'm, I'm not going to go too, too deep on it where the ITC process and uh, which is the international trade commission. And then the PTAB, the patent and trademark appeals board process are two totally separate processes, which actually allow, uh, well, and, and the, and a regular court process. It allows patent holders to go through multiple routes. Um, and the ITC, was supposed to rule first on these things, but then delayed its ruling <sighs> until after, after the Patent and Trademark Office uh, or Patent and Trademark Appeals Board came out and said, all of these patents are invalid. We never should have granted them in the first place. <laughs> the patents are terrible. Like, get rid of them. And the ITC, which, you know, technically is its own independent organization and doesn't have to listen to that, then came out two weeks later and said, well, Apple violates these patents oh. uh, and, and therefore, and the only, the only remedy that the, the ITC has, they can't do fines, but they can block import. They can and say so you can't bring it into the country. Yeah. You can't bring it into the country. All and so, sales. Yeah. so Apple ran to, to the White House, which had, had protected them a decade ago. Obama protected uh, it, them. It, there was an I, I, iPad block, right? 
Right. With, with Samsung, it was a very similar sort of situation. And Obama rejected the ITC's recommendation and allowed the import to continue. And so Apple, I think, was very much hoping. And, and I think for good reason, they had a pretty strong argument in that the PTAB had said, these patents are not valid. So the whole thing is a joke. Uh, and yet, for whatever reason, the Biden administration decided not to go against the ITC. Is ruling. there a chance in hell that the Apple Watch would be blocked? Sure. It, it it absolutely could be the, the the more likely thing is that Apple is going to cough up a huge sum of money right. to a live core and, and or, or Apple will buy a live core and bury them. <laughs> right, right. That's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of the let, yeah. let they have the to be careful here because actually, uh, although Apple, you know, brought in, you know, a whole bunch of I think 500 uh, testimonials saying you the Apple watch saved my life. A live core saved some lives too. A live core was a big some. breakthrough in AFib. Some, I mean, like it, it is. It had a breakthrough, but the thing is, is that number one, the patents didn't didn't hold up. They didn't number hold two, up. Yeah. is the problem. What really is, is it, there's a big difference between having to buy something different to have on to, to to measure what your your situation is and having it on your watch. You know, and the the I think the public value of having it on your watch is pretty high. Um, so the idea of I think that Apple's making is number one. The patent isn't. I mean, the, the, this 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 case is nuts. Like, you yes. know, like the idea that, that the patent isn't valid, and uh, you know the idea of blocking it when it actually is making a measurable difference in you know life saving at a at a level that's at least a hundred, if not a thousand times what a live core can do, is is just a kooky. I mean, it just this is the government run awry. <laughs> like it's yeah. just like you know yeah. this is this is bureaucrats doing bureaucrat things, like not not thinking about anything else um you know it's just it's nutty can you appeal? well i, I, I go ahead I, I would put it on a live core too like they are clearly pushing this angle yeah. as as hard as they can under presumably well, because they don't have a business the, model with that with apple going down the path it's going a live core is dead like right. that's the problem is right. it like if apple puts all the health stuff into your into your watch and even if you're even if it's not you know you're they're toast they're toast right. that's the problem right well, maybe uh, what you should do is buy a sealed iPhone and hold it for 20-some years or whatever because you can make some money. That's uh, what uh, Karen Green did. She bought the original iPhone in 2007 and never opened it. <laughs> the sealed iPhone in a box just oh sold for $63,356 to some cracked collector i guess you know and that's that's amazing foresight because like <laughs> the iphone the original iphone the first generation iphone was not a big seller and it was kind of seen as a novelty like a kind of it was it was a tack on to apple's very large successful ipod right. business i mean it even used the the 30 pin ipod connector right. I mean, basically right. an ipod we forget with, that uh, don't you we? know didn't have cut and paste didn't yeah. have apps um, and yet, yeah. it was a revolution. Alex, you and I were doing Mac Break Weekly. Remember, Scott Bourne made a wanted to make we a vest. Yeah, we all went. We all went down. Scott and I, Scott and I, especially, we were definitely on the. We had there was a there was a picture of him in the San Francisco Chronicle as the first yeah. guy to come up at the Apple Store. He was holding up his iPhone like this with that original iPhone. Scott, if you'd only put it away, <laughs> <laughs> exactly put it in the box. It has has anyone found out why this iPhone was never opened? Uh, no, unknown. Maybe because Karen got that, two. Maybe it was a corporate know. buy. No, no, we don't know. 
Because that's that's the part that that, that, that I'm I'm wondering about. Because like you know, it was it was not a cheap item. No, for most people, four five hundred bucks, six hundred bucks. I can't remember. And, and you know, I've certainly there are certain definitely I have purchased gadgets and left them in the packaging. You know, oh, I'm gonna leave I'm, them all in the packaging from now on. Yeah. <laughs> but but this this I'm surprised. Yeah. Of course, I. And there was finally there was a great picture. There's a site for Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs' birthday uh, would have been this week. And there's a the Steve Jobs uh, archives, which for a long time didn't really have much in there. It's being I think it's being run by uh, I think Lorraine put up money and some other uh, fans, maybe Tim Cook, um, and they also gave a lot of their um, a lot of their uh, you know stuff that they had to the archive. SteveJobsArchive.com, and now they're starting to release stuff, which is nice. Uh, the the latest thing for his birthday uh, was a picture of Steve. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, walking, uh, he was walking in New Orleans and noticed in an Apple store, or no, it was a Best Buy or somewhere. They didn't have Apple stores, right? Noticed a somebody playing with uh, a Macintosh. I don't know where this is on the site. I can't find it. Maybe they just released it uh, to the the press let me see if I can find this picture but he he was uh, you know at the, at the time uh, the Mac had just come out there it is he was probably not sure whether it was going to be a huge success the Lisa had kind of been a flop uh, his frankly job was on the line believe it or not in fact he did lose his job shortly after this but there he is staring through a window at a young woman Playing with the Macintosh for the first time in 1984. Steve Jobs, 28 years old at the time, would have been his 68th uh, birthday on February 24th. Happy birthday, Steve. And that is the end of that. Mike, thank you so much for spending a couple of three hours with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, It is the best place to go to read about I don't know how you don't have a heart attack, to be honest, because everything I you may, it makes me mad just to read tech dirt. You have to write this. I mean, I'm just you're you're you, you. How do you do it? How do you stay calm? Uh, I do have a blood pressure monitor off to the side. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much just stupidity out there, and and it, this is the place. <laughs> to to read articles about stupidity, right? Uh, yeah, but 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 we have we have a, a sort of weird optimism beneath all of this. I know, stupidity. I know. I know. The reason yeah. the reason we're calling it out is because we think people can be better, and we think that innovation and the internet can be better, and therefore. We 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 are we are angry at the things that hold that back, but we are optimistic about where we get to in the end. I like that. You also have a podcast, uh, which everybody should subscribe to. You can get all of this at techdirt.com. And I, I do really want to encourage people to support TechDirt. We talk about our own club uh, all the time. But, uh, you know, if you only had seven bucks to spend, spend it on tech with TechDirt. Uh, Lisa's going to kill me. But honestly, you guys are, <laughs> you guys are doing uh, God's work. Now, if you have 15 bucks, spend it on both of us, okay? There but, we go. <laughs> <laughs> but supporting Tech Dirt really is worthwhile because you are literally 
doing the most important work on the internet right now. I think it's super important. And I'm so glad. We always are thrilled when you can join us. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's always, always fun. Best thing I can do for you, Owen Thomas, is keep calling you the Herb Kane of Silicon Valley. Uh, Owen, uh, as the you remember, second most important writer on the internet. <laughs> second most important writer on the internet, as you may remember, was a protocol. Protocol uh, fell apart. Now a columnist for the Examiner. And you know what? I love your stuff. Uh, I am going to start reading this. I'm going to add you to my RSS. How about that? Um, great, great kind of columns about the real world in San Francisco and stuff. I haven't read the Examiner uh, in a long time since the kind of the um, the newspaper wars knocked it out, but I'm glad to see it's doing it. It's doing it. I I remember in in the '90s when I first got to town, I was I was more of an Examiner kid, and that, me too. You know, like it was the of, afternoon. A paper. lot of people, yeah, yeah, and it was it was also the the city you know paper. Right. Um, they still capitalize the C in city, which I love. <laughs> As uh, in, there is only San Francisco. There are no other cities. And Owen's when got you talk about the city. Yeah, this is it. And Owen's got the stories about San Francisco, uh, and I think well worth uh, reading at sfexaminer.com. I'm telling you, this is really, we need a Herb Kane in San Francisco. You could be our new Herb Kane. He was the great columnist who dominated San Francisco newspapers for decades at the, at the Chronicle, then the Examiner, then back at the Chronicle. Um, this is, I think this is going to be an opportunity for you. Oh, there's other Owens. Don't look at that other Owen. Look at Owen Thomas. I should have searched for Owen and Thomas. Thank you, Owen. Really appreciate it. His website will someday be resurrected, much like that ficus <laughs> behind him. Ditherati.com. That's the place to go at Owen Thomas on the Twitter. Mr. Alex Lindsay, you'll be back on Tuesday. We will talk about so much stuff. Lots of news in the Apple world. 090.media if you want to hire him for your next streaming event. But everybody should go to officehours.global because it's a great place to hang for free and learn about all sorts of stuff mindfulness today which is kind of kind of cool content creation oh, was, strategies and I think processes was from yesterday yeah oh, that was yesterday edu- for educators yeah exactly. ah, okay so. uh sony fr7 midi programming other world computing's larry o'connor oh yeah there it is saturday's show yeah yeah lots of stuff on here uh and it's it's open to all you can look at their stuff on youtube but you can also join the zoom conversation ask questions and so forth just go to officehours.global for more information. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. We do Twit every Sunday afternoon right after Ask the Tech Guys. I think it's a really good Sunday lineup now. Mike and I start in the morning with Ask the Tech Guys. Then about 2 o'clock Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2200 UTC. We gather together with the best minds in technology to talk about the week's tech news on This Week in Tech. You can watch us do it live from 2 to 5 uh, uh, Pacific time, that would be 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern time, 2200 UTC. The live streams at live.twit.tv. Actually, that's an aggregate of all the different live streams, so you can pick your favorite audio or video live stream. If you're watching live, chat with us live at irc.twit.tv. That's open to all. You can also chat in our Discord if you're a member of Club Twit. Again, seven bucks a month. It's a great deal. You get ad free versions of all the shows. You get to participate in the Discord and all the special events that Ant puts together. Oh, you got some new events. Samable Samad coming up. Stacy's Book Club. Inside Twit with Victor. 
Alex Wilhelm will be doing an Ask Me Anything, and Sean Powers from Floss Weekly for a fireside chat. All coming up, Aunt Pruitt is our community manager, puts together some fun stuff for members and members only. There's also members only shows like Hands on Macintosh with Micah, Paul Therott's Hands on Windows, the Untitled Linux show with Jonathan Bennett, Stacy's Book Club, the Giz Fizz with Dick D. Bartolo. There's lots of reasons to be in the club, but the number one reason to join the club, it really keeps us on the air, keeps the lights on, keeps the team employed. Uh, and increasingly, as, as podcast advertising dwindles, it's going to be the club that keeps us going. So if you can afford it, if, you, if you've already donated to Tech Dirt, you've already bought a subscription to the Examiner, then you can <laughs> then the seven bucks left, join Club Twit. Go to twit.tv slash club twit. Thank you very much in advance for your support. That just about does it. You can get a show uh, also after the fact at the website twit.tv. You can also subscribe in your favorite podcast player. There's a YouTube channel. Lots of ways to watch Twit. But please do watch it every week because we love having you here. I thank you for joining me. And as I have said for the last 15 years, I'll say it one more time. Another Twit is in the can. This is amazing. 